Only the slimmest of chances has allowed me to overcome my death at the hands of Superman. For let the universe howl in despair, for I am back like Paul Newman. I don't want to see an ordinary film. I want to see something extraordinary. Your sacrifice completes my sanctuary of 1,000 testicles. You ever feel as if your mind had started to erode? Let's rock indeed. Welcome to 1,000 Wives of Weird, a podcast that celebrates weird movies. I am Brad Hafner, and with me, back from the Crusades, finally, (laughs) except the UHF episode is going to come out before this, so it'll be like he was back before, but that was recorded months ago. But anyway, with me as again... Hey, it's me. Say your name, Mario. Dickle. Oh, I thought I thought you'd said my name, and I did I, not. I hadn't heard it. Okay, my name is is Billy Martell. You may remember me. I hope. Oh, but here I am again. It is so good to have you back, my brother in Christ. God, it's so um, good to be back, and also with you. But uh, I had a great <laughs> time with our guests. But uh, I had to do all the work. I had to do all the work, <laughs> and. Uh, and so, yeah, no, I really missed you. <laughs> as much as I love our guests and I had so much fun, we have this rhythm that we've built up over sure. six years and 25 episodes. And, um, mm-hmm. but uh, no, it's so good that you're back. Uh, how's it feel to be back? It feels great. It, I, I'm, I'm getting, my body's getting used to the physical dimensions that I exist within in this dimension mm-hmm. after traversing so many planes of existence, you know, you, you lose track of that, but you know, I'm, uh, I'm starting to get into this thing and relearning what this thing called cinema is that we used to, that I used to yeah. care so much about in the before times. Well, uh, a person you used to enjoy quite a bit. I don't know if you still enjoy yes. him. David Lynch would describe it as what if pictures could move? <laughs> That's right. I, I, I remember this. I, I, I remember that the sense that memory's these, coming back. The sense memory, my, my, my hands are starting to do little David Lynchisms, and I'm, and I'm remembering, uh, there's a, there's a lot of ethereal whooshing, I think in the movies yes. that I really like. I mm-hmm. think there's a lot there's of ethereal, some ethereal whooshing. whooshing in our movie today. Oh, thank God. You, well, you watched it. You're aware of it. Oh, that's right. But before we start, we, before we get into the movie today, I have some mea culpas to issue because I miss Ooh. my buddy Billy so much. I hadn't seen him in probably close to two months. We recently got together to watch the movie Barbarian, which we both really enjoyed. That was awesome. But yeah, it's been a while. So I was listening to old podcasts because it's great to be able to just listen to a conversation with a friend again. Um, sure. And in the absence of that, I have Billy Martell. Ah. <laughs> We're busting balls today. You're back. Busting your balls. Testicles are being impacted with damage. I know. I know that you haven't listened to any of the guest episodes, but that's what the show has become. That's what the show's become. Yeah, we're a morning zoo crew now. Great. Wait, okay. wait till you hear all my hilarious characters. Oh, I'm a lady. <laughs> You know, on you know, I for a second there, I thought a lady had was in the studio, and I well, was. Well, you don't know that's that's radio magic. Yeah, I was listening to some old episodes, and there were some things that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. First off, okay. in our episode about imprint, I did a bit where mm-hmm. I owned a brothel. 
I stand by the bit because it was very ridiculous and over the top Mm -hmm. and not really indicative of anything I hope happens in sex work, like um, ghosts and soup. But I did... (laughs) I did use in talking about sex workers some words that I wish I hadn't. Nothing terrible, but yeah. So sorry about that. And during sure. our Frankenhooker episode, we tried to correct that more. We, we did try and correct that a little bit. Yeah. Also in the Holy Mountain episode, while we were talking about the transphobic pieces of it, I said that transphobia was not a thing back then, which is obviously untrue. As long as trans people have existed, transphobia has been a thing. I was trying to allude to the cultural acknowledgement where it's like, Mm -hmm. at the time, that's what I was trying to get at. But that aside, everything else we've said is golden. Right, yeah. Everything Everything else else we've said has been entered into the Library of Congress. It's been etched in a gold tablet that's being kept in ancient Egypt somewhere. Uh, not modern day Egypt. It's taken back in time and placed in ancient Egypt. And Joseph Smith digs it up, and he finds right. the new the New Testament. And yes, yes. Uh, I also want to point out this is this is a very rare episode. Billy and I are not in the studio together. Uh, this is a, oh, that's a true. Remote yeah. call. This is a first. And also on this remote call, as we talk about our movie today, Suspiria, we have brought back mm-hmm. Ian Kiefer, Chief Keefe himself. Everyone's favorite literature-loving cult horror fanatic is back. If only I had a campy catchphrase, I could be a Batman villain from the 60s show. You came up with a little <laughs> intro for yourself. Look at you. That's we great. Did. It was for oh my God. Because Billy's back. I got to have some Batman humor in there. Oh, <laughs> I, you know what? That made my heart so happy. I appreciate that. Thank you. It was great having you on this show before. It's great having you now. Thank you for coming back. So even though Billy is back, I... Yeah. Earlier in this week, he had the dreaded fake disease COVID. Yes. And I was yeah. also his uh, wife had COVID. We're, we're lining up the Mia Culpas for next week, I guess. I was yes. going to say, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, you all. I'm sorry. Do you guys not get my newsletter? You know COVID's fake, right? So that coughing up blood was fake? I have some YouTubes to show you. So COVID was a poppin'. Around the studio. Mm-hmm. So originally mm-hmm. we were like, well, we don't want to record and disturb Billy's wife, Kaylee. And then Billy got it. And it's like, he's diseased. Yeah. We should probably throw him on the corpse pile right now. So I was, <laughs> I'm not I, was dead. I, I won. I still kind of wanted to do an episode. So I reached out to Ian and mm-hmm. Billy recovered because it's not a real disease. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ian Kiefer, yeah, also a recent COVID survivor, by the way. It's your turn next, Brad. Oh, no, I won't get it. I won't get it because I take the horse medicine. Not even ivermectin, just ketamine. Right. <laughs> you inject bleach straight into your own asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just to make it look pretty. But uh, so I reached out, but Billy was feeling well enough to join us. Thank God. Yeah. It's so good to have him back. And we are here to talk about Suspiria, the cult classic from Dario Argento. It's about a young woman from America who goes to a German dance academy where very spooky and strange things are going on. Now, Ian, uh, when we first talked to you, there was a long list of movies that you you were considering. This was on there. I didn't want to do it then because... Well, one, Billy had not seen Phantom of the Paradise either, but at the same Mm. time, I knew he was more interested in Phantom 
than Suspiria at the time. I wanted to do Phantom then, but this time I, I threw out a couple to you and Suspiria was on that list. What is it about Suspiria that made you want to talk about it? That's a good question. Um, I remember looking up like beautiful films and then beautiful horror films. And that was the film that always showed up. And for oh, like after watching it now, I watched this maybe a year ago and I didn't remember most of it. I remembered the ending. That's all I'm going to say. And some of the important um, plot points and stuff. Um, but like watching it um, to, uh, today and everything, it's like it really is just a beautiful film, like shot and everything. Yeah. I also love. Um, literature, which there's a little bit of literary reference. But As you mentioned in your horror. intro. Mm-hmm. I Yes, I did. <laughs> um, but I also love gothic horror. Um, and I know you guys talk a lot about German Expressionist. And except for Caligari, this for me is like the film of German Expressionist, which hmm. I love. Um, which I mean, okay, it's not, it has a very German Expressionist theme, uh, like exa- like the production of it and everything. Um, like Caligari is obviously more a German expressionist film. It's a German film. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. This is a film shot, uh, not shot and shot, but it's placed. I think it's shot in Germany. Is it? I thought it was shot in Rome, but it might be, it might some be in Rome and some in Germany. Maybe. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for bringing it. Billy, do you want to say whether you recommend, obviously you recommend Suspiria because you brought it on. Billy, would you recommend Suspiria? Okay, so whenever we have a guest who brings a movie that is near and dear to their heart, and I don't like it as much as they do, I feel really bad. Uh-oh. I feel really bad today. Uh, so, uh, so I'm I don't I don't like to be a party pooper about things people really love, and I it's clear that you really love this. Uh, so I I I'll try to be nice. No, poop I, on I the do... party. Okay, yeah. fine. <laughs> Fuck your movie, Ian. Yeah. No, uh, I, uh, yeah. It's, okay to have, it's okay to have a dissenting opinion. That's true. Okay. So I, 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 I do recommend this. I will say that right off the bat because this is an absolute classic. If you are like me, like Brad is, like I believe Ian is as well, a fan of modern prestige horror, the like the wave of modern prestige horror that's come about, this movie is... I would say essential viewing. There are so many things that this movie does with the camera, with the lighting that modern day movies, especially the modern day prestige horror films ape that I wasn't aware of. I knew this movie was a classic. I knew this movie was like really well loved in like film nerd circles, but I seeing that sort of thing happen as Ian was talking about, this is one of the most beautiful horror movies I've ever seen. It might be the most beautiful horror movie I've ever seen. It's gorgeous. Uh, that being said, I went about this ass backwards. Uh, I knew As you that, do with a lot of movies. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of things. You did it with Machine uh, Girl. Yeah, I did I did go into Machine Girl with the wrong attitude. And I, I the 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 problem with this one was I knew that Suspiria was a classic and I hadn't watched it. And then a couple years ago the remake of Suspiria came out and the remake of Suspiria was available in a red box. And, and I was really wanted to see it and I hadn't seen the original my, and my wife and I got it out of of the red box and we watched the remake and the remake is potentially one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, wow. Uh, Like I love the remake with my whole ass. Like I just love that movie. And the original is stupid. 
straight up to compare the original to the remake like why didn't they do the thing that the remake could only do because the original was done first at the same time the movie is so close to a movie that i really love that i keep seeing things happening and think man i wish i was watching the movie i really love right now and it's not fair and it's not right and i think that watching this movie again in the future I will like this movie more and more as time goes on. And I will, it's also has a, a, the arc of the plot is very different than you might be expecting because you're prop. If you're like me, you're expecting a horror movie. That's Mm -hmm. not really what it is. It's a murder mystery giallo film that suddenly becomes a horror movie in the last 10 minutes. That's great. That's awesome. And I will say, much like Up, the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes, holy Up the Russ Meyer movie, not Up yes. the Pixar yes. movie. Yes, no, not that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's the, uh, uh, let's yeah, be the, clear. Let's be clear about this. The first 10 minutes, incredible. The last 10 minutes, incredible. The middle bit left me a little bit cold. And we'll get into why in more detail later on but so that is my extremely asterisked all to hell recommendation for suspiria so i would also recommend suspiria i watched this a while back and did not particularly enjoy it either Mm -hmm. i think i watched it 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 was when i was watching movies because it was like all right this is a movie you need to see and i was like I, I don't feel like I need to see that. I was watching movies with different eyes back then. I think this was before I really... We evolve as film watchers. Probably the most important way to evolve personally. Um, Absolutely. Is just to watch movies with better, more accepting eyes. This time right. I watched this film. And as you guys said, it is striking. It is absolutely striking visually. Uh, you guys keep calling it beautiful. I don't know if I'd call it beautiful. It is visually unique in a way that I can't describe and that I love looking at, but beauty is not the word that resonates with me. It's sort of like this neon hellscape, but like a pretty hellscape where it's like all the, all the architecture is super nice, but it's just this, this weird foreboding and this unreality. And I, I I disagree with you that it doesn't become a horror movie until the last 15 minutes. I think you have that paranoia, that tension, that, that sneaking, I think from the beginning with uh, Pat Hingle that establishes that as a horror movie. And then you go from Mm -hmm. there. It's, it's not a long movie. Unlike the remake, which is like 17 hours. Ken Burns' Suspiria. (laughs) (laughs) I would recommend, even though I have not seen the remake, Ian, you didn't get around to watching the remake either. Did you? No, I was actually going to watch the remake last night, and then I saw it was two hours and 45 minutes, and I said, I have class in the morning. <laughs> and when I'm, <laughs> because I'm back home now to do the podcast and stuff, um, I think I'm going to watch mm-hmm. it tonight. So the original is a buck 38. And as Ian just said, the remake is 245. So obviously mm-hmm. they're doing a lot. They're adding a lot. They're... The the director described the remake as his personal interpretation of this cult classic, not necessarily a remake. So they're going to be different beasts. I recommend watching the source first and then seeing how another person interprets it. 
just from I do what as, Billy said. I do as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. As, as much as I love the remake, I think that it's important. If you are planning on watching both, watch this first. Do not make my same mistake. Learn from my sins. Watch that's why you. First. That's why you've come back from the cosmos is to warn people right. about your folly. <laughs> yeah, because I I was fa- I I met I met God and was found wanting because I didn't watch Suspiria first. Because I got I had got sent back to this plane. God more noses than you might think. By the way, really more. Where does it, where's the weirdest place God has a nose? The weirdest place between the third and fifth armpit. Oh wow! Mm. How many nipples does God have? Uh, truly, I lost count after the third infinity. Wow! <laughs> yeah, he could yeah. suckle God, so many puppies. Mostly <laughs> nipples, but I, I expected that, so I didn't bring it up. Like I brought no, up. No, we those we all do. Uh, medieval yeah. painting has. That's just the image we have of God. He's not. Yeah, God probably nipples. isn't a man with a long beard who has a trillion no. infinity nipples. <laughs> he probably has a more respectable number of nipples. Mm. So this movie was made in 1977 uh, by Dario Argento, master of Giallo. Uh, and Ian looked into some background on this for us. Ian, do you have any facts you want to share? Sure. So Giallo is, as Billy kind of said, it was a stylish European murder mystery film. Um, it usually has like stylish colors, which this film's stylish colors, absolutely loud music, um, stylish camera zooms and whips, exaggerated and intensified. Um, it's actually like debated if this is a Giallo film. I think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it definitely is. Because you brought up Dario, uh, Dario or Dario? Uh, it's me, Dario. I don't think it matters. <laughs> I'm gonna say I always Dark said Gentile. Dario. I've, I've, I've always heard uh, Dario Argento. Let's all say it a different way so we're all equally okay. wrong. There we go. Dario. <laughs> Dario. Dorito Dario. Argento. Right. Dorito Argento. <laughs> so Dorito Argento. Um, Ooh, and his, from... daughter, his daughter Cool Ranch Argento. No, his daughter's name is Asia Argento. Like his actual yeah. daughter. I know that he does a lot, spends a lot of time making movies where he she has sex in his own movies. So you know, yeah. See, I haven't seen much uh, Dario Argento films, but like from I what I've either. heard, he's like a sex perverted, depraved dude who's like likes to make erotic films with his daughter and woman and stuff. So when I saw this film now, not because I didn't know who he was back then, I was like. There's nothing like this that's even, it's not really erotic at all. I mean, it's definitely a D'Argento film with like his films, but it's like, it's not what I thought his films would be. Like, it's not very depraved. It's horror, but it's not depraved. I would say. I've seen this in his episode of Masters of Horror. So this one's better. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jennifer. It, yeah, that was a. Uh, oh, with Stephen Weber. Oh man, Dario Argento and Stephen Weber together at last. The Webman. Oh, the web slinger. Webhead himself. <laughs> you know who would have been a great Uncle Ben in the new uh, Spider-Man movies is Steven Weber. Well, I mean, they can, they they still have time. They can still they haven't showed Uncle Ben yet, so they can still True. have a flashback. Yeah, and hopefully it's just him and Marissa Tomei going at it. And Peter accidentally, it. accidentally opens the door and he's watching and he's watching mm-hmm. and he's watching. Mm-hmm. And that's most mm-hmm. of the movie. It says directed by Dario Argento, and we move. And it's just called Spider-Man Coming. 
This was based off of an essay, like a prose poem essay by Thomas De Quincey, who also wrote Confessions of an English Opium Eater, uh, which I is a book that has long intrigued me just because how can you go wrong with that title? Um, I know, right? But uh, it's... I don't really get the connection between the two, but that's where the title comes from. Um, Brad, for your point about Suspiria de Profundis, that uh, but I did a little bit of research into the book and why it connects to this. So it's a book of like poems. Um, it's prose poetry about psychological fantasy on opium. Um, mm. And <laughs> one of the famous parts of it is something called Lavana and Our Ladies of Sorrow, which Lavana was the Roman mm. god of uh, childbirth. And in it is something called the Three Mothers. And uh, Suspiria is part of a trilogy. Mm. With Inferno, I think it's the one after it, and then there's one other one. Um, Mother of Tears. Mother of Mother Tears. Of Tears. That, yeah. that is one of the movies where his daughter has sex. Oh, God. oh man. Because <laughs> I was going to watch Inferno. I haven't seen that one, because I know it's very much either. like Suspiria. A lot more disco in that one. But uh, So the three mothers I kind of read also going into it is there's the three female like uh, mothers in the actual movie, and I'm wondering oh, if that's cool. a connection. Uh, Marcos, Tanner, and Blanc, who we'll get into who they are, but yeah, that is the situation in in the remake because again, the remake was made not only after the original but after both of the sequels. They use material from the sequels as well in the remake. Oh, interesting, and they that's how they're expanding the story, and they they expand the in the material and sort of more further explain like this the. the rules of magic behind in this universe and the mythology of the three mothers and who they are. Honestly, if there's one thing that I like about the original more than the remake is that the remake spends a little bit too much time trying to explain that. And this movie just is like, you don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> like clearly like from behind the scenes stuff I was reading, Dario Argento had that stuff in his head when he was making it, but he was like, not necessary. And also, yeah. also not really, behind, not really necessary. Also from the behind the scenes stuff and from, I don't know what seems to be kind of de rigueur with a lot of Italian productions from the sixties and seventies is that everything was just a shit show behind the scenes where, oh, God, yeah. um, and, uh, yeah. something we, something we'll point out before we get into talking about the plot is that all Italian movies from a certain period are dubbed. They don't record sound on set, and depending on the they, market, they let all of the actors on set speak their own languages. Because with a lot of these Italian movies from this time period, the actors were from all different cultures. So mm. you'll have so the actress who's playing the main character and the actress who's playing the main character's best friend will be in scenes together. Both actresses doing an incredible job, and neither one of them has any idea what the other person is saying because one of them's an American and the other one is from Italy and is speaking Italian. Udo Kier is speaking German. It's, cra it's crazy town banana pants. That sounds like a nightmare. That sounds like a it literal is a nightmare. nightmare where it's just like, I'm talking to you and I have a goal and I'm trying to get something across and I don't understand fucking anything. I was say for the guy after Udo Kier's um, scene that you brought up, Udo Kier, yeah. I was reading something where because Jessica Harper had no clue what he was saying because he was talking. Uh, I don't even know, know German or Romanian. 
Uh, well, yeah, 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 but this guy, I'm not the guy, not Udo Kier, but the guy after talks about that stuff, would literally take his foot and hit her foot when he was done so she would know when to say her God. line because she had no Incredible. idea when to finish. <laughs> Oh, I was ex- I, I was kind of talking about this like th- that was one of the things that really bugged me about this movie and I knew that it was going to be a thing going in but again giallo is a murder mystery thriller genre it's basically a sort of really technicolor version of noir except you know way way more sex and and violence towards women noir has quite a bit of violence towards women yeah (laughs) you know what i yeah that's true but but giallo is just very famous for being extremely sexist most of the time but noir is also very sexist so i don't know what i'm talking about anyway but i've seen italian movies before but most of the italian movies i've seen from this era were all about making meatballs right yeah no no but no we're directed by sergio leone a man who famously said, I don't make sound films. I make silent films who, which happen to have dialogue in them. So mm-hmm. I, looking back on it, you don't always notice the dubbing in his films because such large swaths of his movies have no dialogue at all. Occasionally, a character will say a bunch of stuff. It will cut back to Clint Eastwood and he'll say, yeah, and then it'll move on. And so there's... In this movie where the characters are supposed to actually be connecting with each other, it suddenly matters that they can't understand what the fuck each other are saying. Yeah. All right. Are you guys ready to get into plot? We begin with a voiceover narration telling us that Susie Banyan, a ballet dancer, has gone to Germany to attend a world-famous academy. And as Ian said earlier, Susie is played by Jessica Harper. Ian can only bring on movies that star Jessica Harper, apparently. I have a mea culpa of my own about, about okay. this. Oh, yes. So Jessica Harper, as as Brad just referenced, was in Phantom of the Paradise. And we talked about her being in that and how she was in Suspiria. And in that episode, we also compared, spent a lot of time comparing, not a lot of time, but compared Phantom of the Paradise to Rocky Horror Picture Show. I felt like such an idiot the other day when I realized, and we were also debating whether or not that was really her voice. She was in the sequel to Rocky Horror. She replaced, uh, what's, what was her name? Thank you. Susan Sarandon. Susan Sarandon played Janet in the first movie. She takes over the part of Janet in the sequel, Shock Treatment. And she sings a number of songs. And that one, that's a movie where Janet has a villain arc. She goes through a villain era and turns oh, into she a, has a heel version turn. of Janet. She does a heel turn, turns into an evil version of Janet for a minute. Harper. Jessica Harper is fucking phenomenal in that movie. She's incredible. She's always uh, great. And so I knew she's that great, she yeah. could sing, and she could sing incredibly well. Susie lands in Germany and gets a taxi. And the score by Goblin, this this score is famous. It is so influential. Might be more popular than the movie actually is. This movie didn't affect me the way that it was supposed to but the score fucking did it's so good it's so i want to listen i want to be listening to the score all of the time and because this is just how italy does shit apparently like goblin and dario argento like i it was made before the film was made i believe yes so they were just like okay let's just do some spooky shit which is Dario, also, you, Dario, you want to smoke some doobies and go do some spooky shit in the sound studio? <laughs> and they try to invite John only, Carpenter. They try to invite John Carpenter along. He's like, too many notes, too many notes. 
it's 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 become one of my favorite horror scores ever now. And also, also again for uh, Ennio Morricone, who did the score for the Sergio Leone move, movies, they also did that. They did this for the entire score for The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly was written before that movie. The only difference being, I don't know how much they actually listened to the score once they started filming Suspiria. And yeah. uh, Ennio Morricone had the score playing on loudspeakers the entire time they were making. The oh, Good, interesting. I was yeah. just going to say. Because again, the um, dude makes silent movies. To bring on Billy's point, um, Dargento, or Dario Argento also did that where during the entire production, he blasted this uh, goblin That's soundtrack. Right. So that for me, because I I also love the music. I wrote down like six times that the music is one of the, my favorite parts of this entire movie. That's it's incredible. fantastic. But yeah, literally. So not only were these like terrifying things happening with all this blood and everything, they had this terrifying synth, like creepy music blaring in their ears. It's like, oh God. <laughs> and nobody can nightmare. understand each other. And... <laughs> God, I'm having an anxiety attack right now thinking about this. Jessica Harper also said because they were not recording sound, there would be like carpenters hammering in the background and stuff like working on the sets. So it's just this discordant like, here's the mundane. Here's the horror. I need to act. I can't understand anybody. Um, We've had frustrating experiences with like local community theaters. We've never experienced anything quite on the level of chaos and unprofessionalism that it sounds like it was being on this set. That's a good perspective. And that's something we should hold on to going forward. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Every, uh, every time you and I get frustrated with something uh, in doing acting, we'll call up our old friend. We'll call up our old friend, Jess Harper. Right. Get some advice. Absolutely. Look up, Jess, look up uh, one of her one of her cookbooks about the frustrations of cooking. Jess, I know you have to get shots in your eyes every six weeks, but let me <laughs> bitch to you about uh, this community theater I'm doing. That's true about Jessica Harper. It is. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. She has to get shots in her eyes every six weeks. I love that you hang up your phone call with Jessica Harper to be like, that's true about you, Jessica Harper, that you get shots in your eyes every six weeks. That's how I end every call because I'm worried she has memento disease and doesn't remember. Fun fact about Goblin. Goblin was this, uh, I guess, industrial rock band or something like that at the time. I'm not sure what genre they played in, but they were a rock band of some kind. And they were... They, this particular studio that Dario Argento was making the movie with loved Goblin so much. They had a standing contract with them at one point where every horror movie that they made, Goblin made the score for. To the point where they, uh, Dawn of the Dead with George Romero was made as a joint venture with this with this particular studio, which is why they were able to make zombie two and zombie three and everything going forward after that, the Italian sequels to Dawn of the dead, they put it into the contract. You have to have a score by goblin and George Romero was pissed off because he'd gotten so used to using royalty free tracks that he would arrange himself that he was like, no, I don't want to have one of the greatest rock bands, horror score people making score for my movie. I want to use my shitty royalty free tracks again. Cause that's the way I like it. I want a movie where it's the Godfather 
But instead of Johnny Fontaine coming to Vito Corleone, it's the band Goblin. And they're just like, <laughs> Godfather, you gotta, you gotta help us out. We want to do, we want to do soundtracks for the horror pictures. Like, all right, all right. Any movie that plays in Italy, it's gonna have Goblin in it. <laughs> That's what started the war between the five families. Is right. because one of them was behind Carpenter. One of them was behind uh, Tangerine Dream. Um, <laughs> one of them. One of them just was obsessed with tubular bells. <laughs> uh, Dario Gento was also because you brought Dawn of the Dead. He was the script consultant on Dawn of the Dead, and he co-wrote oh. Once Upon a Time in the West for Sergio Leone. Um, really? And he, wow. Yes. So the music that Goblin actually does on Dawn of the Dead, he also did that. He was collaborating oh. with Goblin because he collaborates on basically any Goblin like soundtrack. He's also usually there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he, he's the fifth Goblin. This weird Italian cinema, this weird Italian cinema Goblin circle jerk that we're doing. I'll keep it going. Lucio Fulci, who directed Zombie Two, also worked on this movie. Oh yeah. I yeah, Lucio Fulci was like a, a disciple and friend of Dario Argento at one time. I think Dario Argento has a cameo in Zombie 2. You think they ever kissed? Uh, yes. Right okay. right on the mouth, open mouth with tongue. All right, I'm going to chop that out. Now we have a libel case <laughs> against Billy Ian, Honeypot. <laughs> yes! Complete. That's why we brought Billy back. So we can yeah. get him for libel. <laughs> no, my millions. I'm going to lose my millions. <laughs> Take that, you miser. My point is, before we talked about Goblin for 800 hours, uh, <laughs> is that one minute into this movie, the yes. score is already hitting hard. Yes. Also immediately noticeable is Argento's use of lighting, which is very atmospheric and unnatural but is not off-putting. It mm-hmm. draws you into this crazy neon world that he is building right off the bat so well. Yeah, I've I've always said uh, Eraserhead, and in Eraserhead, David Lynch's Eraserhead, sound is its own character to me in that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, this film, mm-hmm. the color red is a character in this film, uh, which mm-hmm. I, like you talk about light and stuff, is like, I mean, just light, and, but the color red is its own character. The color wheel in general is its own character in this movie. Yes. Like just, this, yeah, just the, yeah. the, the, the range, the spectrum of visible light is a character in this movie. <laughs> just the concept of vision is a character. <laughs> just, that, <laughs> just that you can see anything. It's just like, just oh, so you man. Can see anything. Yeah. But Susie arrives at the Tanz Academy, mm. which if you don't speak German, if you're not like me, means dance academy. Nice. Uh, which is a striking red building with an mm. ornate entrance. I cannot do justice to the images in this film. You really need oh to see God, them, no. just like we cannot do justice to the soundtrack, uh, which you just yeah. need to hear and experience. Along Why are you with the listening images. to this show? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it would. This is yeah. a non-visual medium about a intensely visual medium. This this yeah. this whole podcast was a mistake. Yeah, no shit. No one listens. <laughs> If there is anything prettier than the music is the like the architecture of the buildings that they have in this movie is some of the wildest, craziest, uh, most ornate uh, fucking walls I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) 
it's almost frustrating. It's like, why are you yeah. not just functional? Why are you so pretty? <laughs> <laughs> it's something I uh, thought about when like watching the film. And it's like, because knowing you'd be do the podcast, it's like, it's going to be really hard to talk about some parts of this film because it's just gorgeous and like stunning. Yeah, right. You can't really say that and everything, but. But uh, much like in the Bruce Springsteen song, Glory Days, as Susie tries to enter the Tons Academy, as she was going in, someone was going out. And this is Pat Hingle, Mm. who's all in a fright. And Billy, isn't there an actor named Pat Hingle? Yeah, he plays Commissioner Gordon in the Tim Burton Batman movies. That's right. We brought him up on the show before, and I was like... Yes, we have. Huh. Yeah, because there was a guy... There's a guy in uh, Street Fighter who strongly reminded me of Pat Hingle. That's uh, right. And I love Pat Hingle so much that every time they kept talking about poor Pat Hingle, I was like, he, he what did happened? fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh no, if only Batman had been there to save the day. Yeah, this movie would be very different if there was a Batman. <laughs> I was I was watching Saw recently, and that was my review on Letterboxd. Would have been different if Batman was there. Well, that goes true for every movie. This, like this is true. Literally, every movie would be drastically changed if Batman were there. I true. mean, in *Phantom of the Paradise*, Owl. Batman basically is there. Owlman, <laughs> my brother. Owlman, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. That's it's it, that everyone knows. *Phantom of the Paradise* takes place on Earth three. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I used to read comics, and I don't even get that reference. No, uh, I was more of a Marvel dude. A lady is running out as she arrives, Pat Hingle. Susie tries to get inside, but is rebuffed by the person on the other end of the intercom. So she just gets back in her taxi. Then we get one of the most striking images in this movie so early. We see Pat Hingle fleeing through the woods. And Susie sort of catches glimpses of this out the periphery. And it's this weird, almost choppy image Sir, and this is where Ian, I can, I kind of agree with you about the German expressionism part, because it's, it's a, it is a, a, a thing in German expressionism to have a forest absolutely full of entirely branchless pole-like trees uh, angling up into forever, and that's exactly what we see here, where it's just like a bunch of fucking telephone pole trees with just like an absolutely dead forest that they're driving through. Those kind of trees scare the shit out of me. Like that, that triggers me hard. Like I'm like, these are bad trees. This is the kind of trees (laughs) where bad things happen around. Um, Yeah. But uh, what's great about this shot is Sarah's in the taxi and the woman is running, but she can only run so fast. So while she, she just sort of glides to the back the left of the frame and sort of for a minute keeps up with the taxi she's running so hard and then she glides off screen incredibly striking pat hingle arrives at an apartment building that is beautiful Uh, there's a lot of stained and painted glass in this movie which all look incredible this apartment building is no different pat hingle has come to her friend's apartment the friend offers her couch but i (laughs) Because I did not know Pat Hingle's name, and I will say the full name every time just to distract Billy. So I just referred to her as Runny Woman, which. <laughs> like an egg. 
Or like a candle, like a just a woman sure. made out of wax, which aren't yeah. we all just made out of wax, slowly melting as we <laughs> decompose? In our own way. God, I love it. There's a song <laughs> in there somewhere. Oh, the Candyman can. Made of wax. <laughs> yeah, like those, the nickel nips, you bite into the wax and yeah, it all comes yeah. together. So uh, Pat tells her friend that something strange is happening at the dance school and she needs to get away. I just want to point out as Pat Ingle is, is making this escape and getting into this apartment. Again, this movie is ostensibly a murder mystery that will eventually give us a reveal as to who the murderers are at the end. The only problem with that is that the score has someone keep whispering, which <laughs> which oh, I I Am never I heard what he actually bad. saying. I never picked up on it. it. It it very to me anyway very clearly says witch like over <laughs> and over and over again. Are you sure this isn't some auditory like periidalia? <laughs> no, I I listened to it on its own afterwards because again the score fucking slaps. But I listened to it again and yeah, just straight up in the main titles. Just I believe it's actually the director record Dario Argento to record himself going witch Probably. a bunch of times yeah. on the soundtrack. It's the weirdest well, part of it. That was the subliminal messaging that led Robert Eggers to make uh, The Witch. Right. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> this was his first movie. He saw he saw this when he was like two. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. VHS existed in DVDs, but sure. Pat asked to use the bathroom to dry herself off, even though if I recall, she's already drying herself off. But she goes into the bathroom, which is unnecessarily huge and beautiful. And I'm like, how can this young lady afford this apartment? Uh, in the bathroom, which is huge and beautiful, Pat sees some eyes outside the window. Then an extremely hairy arm forces through the other side. And Pat is stabbed many times. And this arm is very, very hairy. Like, I... Yes. Billy, Billy and I have talked about this before. Ian, you're yeah. you're like... You're like slick. You're like all, but Billy and I are hairy men. And it's (laughs) nice. It's nice to see hairy representation in film. But granted, a lot of times you're relegated to the brutes, to the murderers, to the Mm -hmm. ugly, mostly those three. So, yeah, I have a fun fact about the hairy arms. Um, Guess whose hairy arms those are. Oh, uh, Fred Rogers. Robin Williams. They are Dario Argento's. He literally oh, uses hey. as his arms to murder people. Uh, like he said, he wants to, he wanted to be the murderer in the film, so he's the one who's the arms is doing the stabbing. I wondered about that because there was never there's never a reveal later like you would expect because they they do draw attention to the hairiness. You would expect later on when they reveal who the killers are that you would have the killer like pull their pull their sleeve back and show how hairy their arms their were. Mom tattoo. That never happened, so I was I was a little bit confused as to where the hairy arms came into the story. I also uh, thought that I also thought that the Cheshire cat was attacking her at first when I saw the two eyes out the window. I thought it was the cover of the board game Nightmare, but that is my obscure reference <laughs> for the week. Pat Hingle is stabbed many times, so many times that her heart is exposed, and then that oh, stabbed. So good. It's so gnarly. Oh, I love it. Is. Uh, this oh, is so good. So good. This whole sequence is amazing. Uh, this oh, is all so done 
on top of the apartment building's ornate stained skylight. Eventually, the class breaks, and Harry Boy has rigged it so that as Pat Hingle falls, she is hung by her neck uh, oh. and is just in the lobby of this apartment building. Meanwhile, Pat's friend, unnamed woman, has been multi-impaled twice by an L-shaped piece of metal, and a larger shard of glass has bisected her face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this the especially the thing with the noose, I think is the most iconic imagery from the entire film. And for good reason, because like, yeah. um, I, I was going to say my intro of the film. Um, also, there are, like, I love this film, but there are two shots in this film for me are like, the height of cinema one shot like in this film is my favorite thing in all of film and i'll point out when that is this is one of the ones is the whole scene where she gets stabbed noose and then stab again for me is one of the best things in film it's it's amazing it's amazing and i don't like like i said i watched this a while ago but only one part of this film stuck with me and i won't mention it later i don't know how this didn't stick with me because this is i know again i was watching it with different eyes like, I think sure. I felt I was above it at the time because I was still in, like, mm-hmm. my phase of, like, I watch movies like The Hurt Locker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, uh, one, last, one last thing. Hurt Locker is a good movie. Hurt Locker is a good movie. I haven't seen it since. <laughs> yeah. I watched it the one time, but Hurt Locker is a good movie. I told Brad that I have a a 4K of this film that I'm not able to watch because I don't have a 4K player, but I can't wait to watch this film in 4K when I do. But my cover of the 4K is her with the noose and everything. Uh, I was going to say, I was going to bring that up, the newest release of the film that I was aware of, that cover, yeah. No, this scene, uh, absolutely, I may have complaints about other parts of the movie, but I mentioned, like, the opening really killed me. Everything from the opening credits and that little bit of narration we get to this as a short film as like a short short form horror movie holy fucking shit like it's fucking mm-hmm. incredible unfortunately after this people start talking a lot more they that's when i started uh sort of falling off of the movie the next day susie comes back to the academy at the same time a blind man is arriving this time mm-hmm. susie is able to get in she meets miss tanner who is an instructor and Miss Blanc, the vice directoress in the background as Susie and Blanc talk. I think they actually say blank. Miss mm-hmm. Blanc, Miss Blanc. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Uh, and there is an unsettling child who is intensely European in the background. And it upsets me. He's, he's just a little boy who loves berries and cream. Okay. This mm. is Albert. And he's my favorite character. Um, <laughs> See, I said Albert was German Danny Torrance. Oh, I, I can uh, see it. There it is. There it is. If we aren't, weren't already running long, I was going to do a bit where Albert visited us in the studio. Um, <laughs> but uh, You know what? I have him here. Let, let's bring him in. Let's bring him in. Hello, hello, Tog, Tog. It's me, Albert. Hello, Albert. Hello, Albert. As you can see, I'm still dressed like in the movie. <laughs> Do you, do you have any other clothes, Albert? No. Everyone wants to see Albert. Why would I not be Albert? <laughs> I walk down the street and they're like, it's Albert from the movie. Yeah, from, from the, the movie. The little boy. 
Yeah, it's it's strange to me that you haven't actually grown up and this movie came out in the 70s. Well, I have grown up. I'm much taller, you see. Oh, sorry, because I'm not in the studio with you. I, I couldn't make out your height at first. Well, you've aged extremely well. You look you still look very young. The pants still fit. <laughs> oh, great. Good. They're a bit tight. So. I know you sure. can't see, but I am pausing. Oh, okay. You can you can move that away from the camera a little bit or a little bit uh, there, bud. I, I, I don't need to see it that close. Thank you. But yeah, yeah, I knew. I knew. I was there at the Tons Academy when all this happened to poor Jessica Harper. R.I.P. She's still alive. Oh, is she? I don't keep up with everybody from the movie, you know. Okay, How's Dario Argento do doing, Albert? I only talk to Pavlos. Pavlos. Ah, uh, okay. All right. And we're about to meet Pavlos, Albert. By the mm. way, you're, you're Blanc's nephew, and Blanc tells Susie about Pat's murder and that Pat had been expelled for improper conduct, and Susie is also introduced to Pavlos, as Albert mentioned, whom Tanner points out is very ugly. Well, what's shitty is obviously just being like, hey, check out this ugly bitch. But what also sucks is Pavlos is part of her gang, we're going to find out. She's just like yeah, shitting on a homie. That's bullshit. Shitting on a homie to his face. I feel bad for the actor that Dario Gento, like, he cast yeah. him. You're going to play the ugly weirdo who kind of walks around and then, like, brings Jessica Harper food. I always feel bad for actors like that. It's like, hey, we, we, we put out a casting call for a hideously ugly man or a hideously ugly woman, and you're who we picked. Or, uh, or movies that this, thankfully, has become less common where it's just like, yeah, let's get some fat people in here and yeah, yeah, yeah. just be, like, shitty about their weight. Right, I had to call that out in UHF. It made me so uncomfortable when that happened. Yes, yes, that was not great. Like our good friend Philbin, uh, who was a corpulent actor. Oh, yes. yes, oh, poor poor corpulent Philbin. So have we introduced um, the the lady who's who's like second in command of the, of the school yet? Yes, that's Tanner. That's Tanner. Tanner is played by the actress who plays Mrs. Collins in Dark Shadows. Oh, uh, um, in her in her you, last ever film role, and um, I, it made me so happy to see her. She became one of my favorite parts of it, and she also does her own dubbing. So just like getting to see her and hear her, because I, I I do love Dark Shadows. I, what little of it I've seen, because there's so much of Dark Shadows, you guys. Uh, but so... like I enjoyed her listen. I enjoyed her, her listening to her voice because it's just like. Oh my god, I get to hear more of Mrs. Collins being just generally upper class and disapproving to everybody. It's great. This actress is uh, Alida Valley, and she was once called the most beautiful woman in the world by Benito Mussolini. Mussolini. That's what oh, I was just going to bring up, because I know you love your fascist references, Brad. So I was gonna Yeah, bring that up. That's, that's a weird <laughs> thing about Italian filmmaking. Uh, Sorry, I... I was thinking about a different person. I was thinking about not not. Tara. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're right, Miss Blanc. Miss Blanc. I was thinking about Madame thinking Blanc. Blanc. She's she. Yeah, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Blanc, who's played by Joan Bennett. That is Mrs. Collins, right. and this is her fa final film role. Uh, okay. So Miss Tanner sorry. is 
That's okay. Miss Tanner is the lieutenant of Madame Blanc, but Madame Blanc is also only the second in command under the director of the Dance Academy, who is away traveling the continent. Yes. So let's get this straight. Miss Tanner's actress, Mussolini's wet dream. Right. Blanc's actress, someone Billy has a passing fancy with. Tanner takes Susie to the dressing room, which is surprisingly small. This is just Mm. wall-to-wall ladies and leotards. Susie is approached by the beautiful vamp Olga, played by Barbara Magnolfi. And this is where I wrote down uh, the... This is a movie starring primarily women written by a man who I suspect has never met one because the, the dialogue we start getting in this dressing room was so infantilized and snippy and stupid. In my opinion, here's Uh, the thing that very offensive in my opinion, understandable. Here's the thing that, and I think this is what Ian was about to bring up. I read something, I think it was from IMDb trivia. So who knows how accurate it is. But apparently Argento wanted to make this a story about an academy of like 10 to 12 year olds. And so when the board, when people were like, hey, no, that'll get us banned. He increased it to up to 20 year old, but Mm -hmm. he didn't change the dialogue at all. Yeah, I I read that on Wikipedia. It's at least as good as Wikipedia's information is. Fair, (laughs) you didn't get to make the movie you wanted to make. On the other hand, you decided that you were okay with making a movie with, like, 20-year-olds. I don't know. Change your fucking script, man. Like, like it's no. the dialogue no longer works. You're right. It is bizarre. And the yeah. editing does not help, as we're about to see. Ian, is there something you wanted to say? Uh, yeah. So, basically, like what you said <clears throat> is supposed to have 8- to 10-year-old girls. Uh, it's changed. That's also a reason why every time someone opens a door that's one of the students, it's right at their heads. Is because he wanted little girls to have to put their – like to move – to do that whole thing. And yeah. um, mm. so, Dargento actually wrote this with someone. He wasn't the sole writer. He wrote with, with his a girlfriend. Woman. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yes. But yeah, so he wrote with uh, Daria Nicolodi, probably butchered that name. Um, But kind of interesting is he was interested in the occult while his girlfriend, like you said, was interested in the fairy tale elements. So I'm wondering Mm -hmm. also maybe that infantile stuff came from the fairy tale because uh, the main character is supposed to be a stand-in for Snow White, which is an interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like that could be another part of it too. Which also may, I, I, it's interesting because Jessica Harper has a sort of a high forehead, which makes her look an awful lot like the animated character model for Disney Snow White, in my mm. opinion. So it, I, I, it just, I don't know. I don't know if that was intentional, probably not, but it was, it was interesting to me. You it think Jessica be. Harper might have shaped her entire forehead just for this role? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, think that, I think that she's the most method of actress. I did mention to Brad that uh, Dario Gento cast her in this because of Family of the Paradise. It could be, honestly, mm. because uh, basically all of the lights in this film and all the colors are also based off the Technicolor elements of Snow White. So it could have been That's that right. he was watching that, saw her, and just thought she looked like Snow White, again, with the forehead, like you said, and that's why he cast her. Right. We don't know, but yeah. We don't know. We'll, uh, we'll have to get Dario Argento on the show one day. 
I oh, it might not be that hard. Like I don't think he's doing a lot. He just did a Gaspar Noé film that he acted in. Oh, that's about, right. He wasn't that what's called like Vortex or something. Yeah, it's about dementia or yeah. something, and it's like three hours mm-hmm. long of just sadness. And I was like, I don't want to watch oh, that. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Gaspar Noé in sadness? No way. <laughs> but despite Olga's beauty, inside she is much less attractive. Because <laughs> Susie sits down and talks to Sarah, a fellow dancer. Olga sits beside them and says that people with names that begin with S are snakes. And she hits. Yes. Yeah, she hisses, and Sarah sticks her tongue out, and Olga hisses, and this. <laughs> Goes on and on, and you can. <laughs> and, tell, and this is one of the moments where you can really tell the language barrier is getting in into trouble because poor Jessica's sitting between these two people as they're getting closer to each other, and I think both of them are Italian, and she's just sitting there, and Jessica looks so confused and lost, and I know the main ca- the character is supposed to be that, but she looks just especially confused as to what the fuck is happening in front of her right then. That's how I would be if this were going on in front of me with my. <laughs> Uh, young adult contemporaries, like I'd be like, "What the fuck is this?" I I I love Olga. I love and I love. Uh, she's oh, yeah. dubbed by Carolyn De Fonesca, and she is mm. has this amazing sultry voice for Olga. I love it. This scene just ends. It yes. just stops. It just stops. As, and as next do a we lot see, of scenes in this movie. Mm-hmm. And next we see Souza and Olga pleasantly chatting despite what we were just shown a minute ago where if uh, they're roommates the, now right right uh Susie is rooming with olga they were roommates her, <laughs> uh Susie is rooming with olga because there is her room at the boarding house is not or at the academy is not ready um mm-hmm. but yeah it's like if if I witnessed a person I was supposed to live with, like go like hiss at someone repeatedly, I would be on tenter hooks living with them. I would be like, <laughs> I would be back pressed against the wall, like trying to get to the bathroom, being like, "Don't see me, please don't be angry. Don't be angry that I have a name that starts with S and I have to piss." <laughs> but they're just gabbing away and a dreamy. A dreamy boy drops off Susie's luggage and then leaves. Olga and Susie talk about the boy, and they talk about Pat a bit. Susie remembers that when she saw Pat, she'd said something about a a secret and an iris. Bye, Olga. Thanks for being in our movie. <laughs> uh, that's true. We never see this woman again. Never again. Uh, we get some ballet. Finally. Finally, this is what I came to the movie for. This is a movie about a ballet academy. I believe Bob Fosse choreographed this because it's so great. <laughs> so, okay, here is the one. Th- one of the things that I, again, it's not fair to compare, just to comment on it. One of the things that I love about the new version of this movie is that they really go all in on the idea that this is a magical school of dance. They okay. got like... Some really intense, they did really intense research into the forms of dance that would have been studied in Germany. There was actually a huge postmodern auteur 
a dance choreographer who worked in Germany at the time who they based a lot of the dancing on their work uh, in, in this, in that movie. And so you get to see some incredible dancing in the film. And I, I love dance. I, lo- I, I love it as an art form. And that's what we all say about you. Bailey, the dance man. How's Billy doing? Oh yeah. He's doing good. He still loves dance. They, they have all this incredible stuff in the movie where it's like incorporated into like spell casting and, 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 and the storytelling. And then in this movie, Every time you cut to the dancers dancing, they're just all doing the one pirouette that even I know how to fake. You yeah. know, it's, no, it's there's to be fair, there is about 45 yeah. seconds of dancing in this movie. It's not yeah, a movie told, about yeah. dancing. It's a movie about neon drenched horror it is a cool choice that the remake made to take a background element of the original and focus so much on it. That is says more about the remake than it does about this movie. It, it is does. just something that I noticed. It is. Uh, no, I really appreciate that, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, we learn that Susie's room is ready, but she'd rather stay at Olga's. Next, Susie has an encounter with Albert, my boy. Hello, hello, Tog, Tog. <laughs> Albert is back in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Albert. And you might have noticed that I am frequently with an older woman. And yes, you might ask, I have no sense. Do you know who this woman is? Uh, I've seen the whole movie and no. She's my golem. Oh! <laughs> Your golem. <laughs> I've crafted her out of schnitzel. <laughs> <laughs> and we just... We just have fun. We just we go to market and we see a dog. Uh-huh. And uh, yes. but this one time when I was hanging out with my golem, I call her Tonta Golem, and we see. Uh, shut the fuck up, Albert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Albert, while well, I must agree to a certain degree of cynicism, never mind. Anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> but Susie's walking down the hall and she sees Albert. And his older lady companion, whose relationship is never defined. It's just, they're yeah. like Master Blaster. They're always just sort of <laughs> a pair. Um, no, but, I can, uh, I'm going to spend the rest of this time imagining that uh, the little kid talks like Master Blaster, though. <laughs> <laughs> and the older woman, just to be a dick, reflects some light at Susie. Which mm-hmm. seems to make her uh, very woozy, and just yes. like it's it's bad light. You ever get some of that bad light? That yeah. just like it just makes you dance like a shithead. Yeah, so, yeah. Is this like a like? I'm gonna ask you guys. Is this a magic thing? Because that's what I was trying to figure out. Because that's the only thing. Oh, that... yeah. Okay, because I was like, that's... is she just really weary from seeing light in her eye? <laughs> <laughs> She's super photosensitive. I don't know if we've even said it yet, but like at the end of the, the, the movie, we learn that this, this dance Academy is a coven of witches. They're constantly, whenever anybody in the dance Academy is doing anything that is even slightly inconvenient for them, they just do a whole bunch of magic about it to fuck around with it. She's like, I don't want to live in this Academy. So they're like, well, we're going to make you sick, sick enough that you can't go home and then we'll just keep you here. So yeah, she, 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 she snipes. She snipes her with the with the flashlight beam, and uh, and gets her. But Susie has she can't be woozy because she has to go to class in the yellow room and mm. yellow room possibly a reference to the yellow wallpaper. 
It's filled with mirrors and painted glass. It looks beautiful and insane. Mm-hmm. Blind Daniel is there playing the piano, and Susie tells Mrs. Tanner she's feeling weak. Uh, Tanner pushes her to dance. And honestly, I found this scene really upsetting, uh, mm, where Jessica really? Harper is just like, she's, it's it's a bit over the top, like it's not nuanced, but still just watching someone like being forced to dance when it's clear they need to pass out. And she's like sure. trying for a couple minutes. Yeah. And it's just like this. And Tanner's just constantly counting off in the background. And mm-hmm. Susie's just trying her damnedest to keep up. And it's like, this is not okay. This is when I noted <clears throat> that like people always say like films they would love to live in. This is a nightmare film for me to live in. Uh, one, I hate, mm. I'm not good at dancing at all, but like even just like everything, like it looks beautiful, the Academy, but I would never want to live there with all these people, like always watching you and like magic stuff going mm-hmm. on, but also just being constant <laughs> dancing. <laughs> it would be a terrible it's, thing to live in. It's a very, very oppressive atmosphere. I think it is fair that the young cat Ian does not want to live in the Witch Dance Academy. I'm going to rule. I'm going to rule it as okay that he does not want to live in this fictional setting. I also wanted to briefly touch on the, like I was saying in in my recommendations, you can see a lot of stuff in this movie that is very influential for modern day prestige horror, and I mostly noticed it in the way that the camera moves are done. Uh, the opening yes. shot. In the very opening is this sort of like swoopy camera movie. We movement. get a lot of swoopies. Yeah. A lot also weirdly staccato in the way that like it will it will stop. And it very it seems very A24, especially like even in the opening of Barbarian that Brad and I watched recently, it had a very similar move to the camera move that starts off this movie. Yeah, no, this is a hugely and- influential film. In this scene, it had one that I, I've seen a lot, you know, again, a lot of A24 stuff and, and more recent horror, where a scene will start in a wide shot, and then uh, the audio will zoom into a, a dialogue happening in the in the background almost, and the camera will slowly, almost like that one famous Hitchcock shot with the, uh, slowly move into that conversation happening in the background. And it's this very particular camera move that is all over a 24 shit now, but I don't think was that, I don't think was that big of a thing at the time when it came to horror like this. And I just, I, it was fascinating to see all of this stuff that I take for granted, you know, being in this, in this movie. So just interesting to say. I yeah, say absolutely. Susie collapses, blood running from her mouth and nose. Later in bed, Tanner is trying to force Susie to drink water to replace. And if if she drinks liquid, it will replace the blood she lost. This Um, is the bit that upset me. Like you, you were upset by the dancing. The the because the the water you can see like they're literally forcing this water jug into her mouth, and you can even like see it clinking against her teeth and everything. It's, It's so. Uh, weirdly visceral. A doctor comes by, uh, Doctor Whoever, in for one scene. Oh, yes, my favorite British sci-fi show, Doctor Whoever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we gotta get into the portal and go to wherever. 
where are we going, Doctor? Oh, who knows? Oh, you know, somewhere. Um, <laughs> but the doctor says that this happened because Susie was out of practice. This is a message movie. Keep your body in shape, yeah. kids. Right. We also, we also learned that Olga has returned Susie's things to the Academy along with her rent money and no longer wants Susie to stay with her, presumably because she's some diseased freak like you two. Well, <laughs> Olga, do we get that straight from Olga or is that? No, uh, no, Olga is out of the movie. Olga is down the road at this well, point. Olga, she... Olga might be gone because the, again, the witches are constantly gatekeep girl, ba- <laughs> they... girl bossing and gaslighting uh, everyone. So We're going to find out be... very well. They could have absolutely just, they may have turned Olga into a snake and just like dealt with it that way. We're going to find out these witches have one tool in their toolbox and it is murder. But no, we, we hear it from Tanner and, and everything Tanner says is a lie as we're going to find out. But now Susie mm-hmm. is living at the school and the doctor also says she's not allowed to have fruit for a week and she should drink red wine. But good news... <laughs> Susie's living next to Sarah. Good old Sarah. Yay! Uh, and also, Pavlos is back. Uh, hell Yay. yeah, Pavlos. He's bringing Susie some of her bland food that the doctor prescribed. I assume, like, a white rice mush. Just not even toast, just bread. Just bread. I'm, with I'm really crust. hoping it, considering what's about to happen in this movie, I really hope it wasn't white rice. <laughs> oh! Oh, oh, no. Um, well, yeah, that's exactly. More Lost Boys references. Sarah leaves to go have supper along with the rest of the normal students. And then this is the only part of the movie I remembered from when I first watched it because this is so goddamn disgusting. It was not oh as God. bad as I remember it, but this is one of the grossest things Pretty I've seen. bad. Because maggots begin to fall from the ceiling in Susie's room, in Sarah's room, in every room, it's covering faces. It's getting in hair. I remembered more maggots, but we still yeah. get a lot of maggots. And then There's, when Tanner, yeah. and then when Tanner and Dreamy Boy go to the attic, they follow the trail of, matic, of maggots back to the source. It's just swarming with them. It's swarming with them, and we watch. We get several shots of them just treading on maggots, crunching like through snow it's through so many maggots it's yeah it is i i really can't do maggots like i just that I is can't like, god if that's the word for me it's yeah i can't they're it, it's to the point where i was like when even though they're obviously getting killed on film i'm like i don't care they're yeah. gross kill them tanner opens a crate to find a bunch of rotten food blank apologizes tells the ladies that they will be sleeping in the practice hall also, Albert's there again. Hello, hello, Tog, Tog, it's me, Albert. I'm oh back in the film. Oh, I, thank God for Albert. I was there for Maggotgate. I was you there. Were- <laughs> <laughs> you were there for Maggotgate? It was a big scandal. Where did these maggots come from? Then we found right. out it was from rotten food. Sure, <laughs> right, of course. Absolutely. Life is crazy. You add so much to this movie, Albert. I'm so glad you're here. 
I have been in other films too, mostly oh, cut yeah. out, but uh, oh. I was in the Jurassic Park. I dressed oh, I just like Albert, and I just, I was in the background <laughs> as Sam Jackson went click, 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 click. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I assumed. I assumed that in the original cut, he had three grandchildren. But no, you were just a separate child. Yes, I worked at the park. Right, oh, right, right. I ran the cafeteria. Oh, that makes sense. I was no, also in. I was also in Titanic. I oh, okay. I sat on the iceberg like the little prince. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! And the, and the James Cameron came to me and he said, "Albert, you take away from the realism of the film," and I just would not get off that iceberg. <laughs> Albert's the one who caused the Titanic to crash. Well, I was steering it like a sandworm in Dune, <laughs> and I was like, "Hey, hey, let's go say hello to that boat." It turns out the teachers and Blanc will be sleeping there. Blanc turns out the lights, and once again, the lighting is immaculate. We see that we get this red light from a curtain behind the girls and these silhouettes cast on the wall. Um, and I think the curtain might be separating the gentlemen students from the lady students, but it doesn't really matter. Um, at night, we get another amazing shot where the camera, again, we get those swoopies Billy was talking about, sort of mm. very slowly swoops down over the girls. There's this wailing on the soundtrack. Someone comes behind the curtain and lays down on the bed. Uh, Sarah wakes up and tells Susie, Susie, telling her about the figure that just came in uh, and the snoring she hears, a very distinct snoring that she heard a long a year ago. It's Helena Marcos. The directoress of the academy. I just just to, the the context of this scene. Like the scene is very well shot. Again, imagine there's no witches in this movie. Imagine there's like no like. Oh, I love that John Lennon song. Imagine there's <laughs> no, there's no witches. witches. Imagine <laughs> there's no coven. It's easy <laughs> if you try. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh man, the, the the full ten minute version of Imagine is the only version. To, to <laughs> the really uh, anti witch version of Imagine. John Lennon got very scared one Halloween. <laughs> but so if if this is just like a normal dance academy that just happens to have really ambient lighting and they're all sleeping in this thing, like as we as the audience know that this is a horror movie or a giallo film, so we know that it's there's a weird creepy person behind that curtain that's snoring real weird and that they're they're gonna react to it and it's kind of scary. But in universe, they're just kind of being really judgmental about someone with with a weird sleep in issue that happens to be sleeping right. near them. Oh, Jesus Christ. Look, I have sleep apnea. So I'm going <laughs> to speak for the community because we are a hegemony. Right. Yes, of course you are. I yes. speak for all of us. You're a monolith. Uh, exactly. That's, I starred in 2001 A Space Odyssey, my first credit right. film debut. Yes. Iconic. Yes. Um, Iconic. No, I. Well, we know that Susie. We know that Pat Hingle has been on to mm -hmm. these people for a long time, yeah. and she has shared information with Sarah. So Sarah knows that odd things are afoot. She's not just going after people who snore weird. I snore terribly. 
and it is okay to use our if this is already running long. We don't need to get into the bizarre bit. Um, <laughs> Sleep apnea. It was going to become a trial. Uh, O.J. Simpson might have been involved. It's, <laughs> You know the what? It was, it was it was my fault for touching on a subject I don't know enough about, apparently. Yeah, you're not a member of our community, which I speak for wholeheartedly. Right. Exactly. I didn't know how involved O.J. Simpson was, was in, in this. Well, it's just, if you could use a snore as evidence in a crime, then... <laughs> <laughs> right, Maybe, right. Maybe yeah, that's okay if it gets a killer off the streets. Right, of course, yeah. Oh, to make Billy feel better, I also wrote that down about snoring because I don't think at this point okay. Sarah tells um, – I forgot our lead character's name. Ah, Susie. Susie. Um, I I don't remember that um, Sarah tells Susie that about the notes or anything yet or any of that. I think that's all later. No. So, like, at this time I also wrote down they're just making fun of an old woman who's snoring because – Well, Susie is. Sarah's doing it with – no. Sarah, yeah, yeah, but we don't know that yet. No, we don't know that. But at the end of the scene, it does kind of come around. I will admit because they, she explains that she, again, like like you already mentioned, Brad, uh, she heard that snoring before, and it was uh, Marcos. She's not up abroad at all. She's sleeping on the other side of this curtain here. No, I think she is abroad. She's a lady. But uh, um, yeah, no, that was really good, and you guys just gave me fucking nothing. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> Holy shit! I thought we were a squad, and you just <laughs> you just let that thump. Okay, now I see where we stand. The joke was too smart for me, Brad. It took me a minute to unpack the layers. Same. <laughs> The next day, Blind Daniel arrives as the fumigators go about killing these awful creatures. Hmm. Albert and his older woman friend. Hello, hello, yes, it's me, Albert. I'm back in the film. Uh, yeah, oh, that's, that's, that's great, Albert. They see Daniel's dog, his seeing eye dog, a German shepherd outside. And we don't see the dog bite Albert. But the dog bites Albert. We hear it as we focus on a door. And another fucking great shot. We hear the 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 shout of pain, and then the camera slowly tracks down the hall until we see most of it. Tanner comes around a corner, walks towards the camera, bursts into the yellow room, and informs Daniel that the dog has bitten Albert. Daniel has a very weak chin, but he is a strong man. Because he mm-hmm. is, even though he has no proof that his dog has not bitten this child, he is like, no. I, I will I will say there's something about this scene that really unsettled me. And it's just Tanner's performance in the scene. Of, she's so vicious. She's so vicious, but constantly smiling. She has the biggest, most wide rictus Joker grin I've ever seen someone do without makeup, and she's just and she's just absolutely brutal towards this poor blind man and his dog, they're talking about how they're going to put it down, but with this like absolute howdy doody grin on her face the entire time, 
it's it's I don't know if it was intentional, but it was just really, really upsetting to me. I I feel that like Tanner is my favorite performance in the movie. Like every mm. time she's just out there barking, she has this great presence. She's my second favorite performance in the movie, but we'll get to my favorite. I think she's also like on my top three uh, performances, but she's also to me, I wonder if Pam Ferris used some of her performance for Trunchbull because a lot of this, when I was watching, mm. she, she has very similar hair. That's what I was thinking. Now, I think Roald Dahl's illustrations kind of look like that, but... Um, sure. well, this- how do we know Roald Dahl didn't watch Suspiria? Well, I think mm. Roald Dahl wrote in, like, the 1930s. Well, he was an anti-Semite, so do you really want to defend <laughs> him? <laughs> I walked into that one. Yeah, yeah. We're learning a lot about you two. <laughs> Anti-Semites, not part of the squad. Um, Against sleep uh, apnea people. Yeah. Yeah. Apneaists. Tanner kicks him out of the academy and like a dick just <laughs> gives a sort of a, a short throw to his cane and jacket. Like not tossing it across the room, but tossing it far enough just to be an asshole. Danny gets his shit and leaves, and he makes a big deal about it. Okay, if someone told me that my dog might have bitten a child, I I don't know that I would have this hubris as I leave, where I'm like, fuck you, and fuck you. No one's going to kill my dog, ever. Well, kind yeah. of. I, I was thinking about this scene and adding the ending in, I'm um, not going to, like, talk about the ending or anything obviously all the employees are working together in this we've mentioned the coven i'm wondering if they tried to get danny to join the coven he said no so then they have albert go and uh, get attacked by the dog so they have a reason to fire him and then what happens later to danny um and that's why when he's leaving he keeps yelling Mm. i'm not death and i connected a lot of danny's character with see no evil hear no evil speak no evil because he can't see. I thought he was yelling, no, not that. Like, to the idea of them killing his dog. Subtitles were not available, unfortunately, because I could have really used them. No, he did did say he was yelling, I'm not deaf, I'm not deaf, over and over again. Oh, okay. And he's like, I'm I'm blind, not deaf. That's okay. But I, that was something that really confused me. That would make sense, Ian, as a motivation. But when I was watching it, I was having a little bit of a trouble connecting. This, this is another part of the problem that I was having with this movie. I was having a hard time connecting with any of the characters, both because they just kind of enter and leave willy nilly with the, the, the way the story is. Mm-hmm. A, 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 a Olga. I just didn't understand why some things were happening. Like, but yeah, the, 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 just firing this blind piano player. And I'm like, but what is the point? Like, why? Is it just because the dog, or is it revenge because the dog bit him? I thought the dog biting him was part of the gaslighting thing that they're constantly That's doing. Here's, I was apparently not. Here's what I'm going to say. I figured while I watched it, but just decided right now. Maybe the dog well, sensed that, maybe the dog sensed that Albert was evil, bit him mm, like a good dog should. And then right. because a member of the coven was attacked and that's not kosher. We, I, not to imply that the Jews have anything to do with. Oh, who's the anti-Semite now? Blood libel. <laughs> no! <laughs> <laughs> no, but... <laughs> I feel... 
Like, we're eating ourselves. We've been trapped in this podcast so long. We're just turning against you. This is what they want. This is what they want us to do. Who are they? You know. <laughs> Be careful about how you answer that question. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I like that idea that you said about sensing evil. I also just thought of something that I'm going to act like I knew that I thought of when I was watching the film. And that is... You guys are so good at this lying thing. Right? I know. I'm yelling yeah. this, I'm not deaf. Instead of maybe them trying to join him because he's uh, blind, which I think you have better hearing or maybe that's something else. Maybe he heard them in their cult coven and they know he heard something and then now that's why they're trying to get rid of him is because he heard too much instead of seeing. Maybe it's sort of a combination. Because he yells out, I'm not deaf. Things. Like, I know what you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah. We need I to get our gentle that. on the podcast. Yeah, we, we clearly yeah. <laughs> answer the hard questions. Yeah, Argento. Later at night, Sarah sits on Susie's bed and remarks about how she mentioned earlier that at 9.30 sharp, all the teachers leave the academy. But Susie, who is once again, she's very dazed. She's obvi- obviously your food has been drugged. Right, Let's just yeah, get yeah. that out of the way. Obviously, if you've seen a yeah. horror movie, you understand that the wine is probably roofy. Mm-hmm. But she says it doesn't seem like the teachers are leaving, but rather going deeper into the school. And Mm. so Sarah puts on her detective cap, takes out her handy-dandy notebook, and tries to figure out where the footsteps are going. And next, we are in a beer hall, where men in lederhosen (laughs) are doing that German slap dance on a table. And if you know what I mean, you know what I mean. Uh, And it is odd it is odd and aggressively german for a movie that does not really establish its germanity that much a point that i i wrote down about this movie that i was just making a note about when this scene came up i was writing down the note my review of this movie is the same as almost every other movie that we've watched on the show not gay enough uh, and then this dance came on and I was like, never mind. <laughs> um, but uh, Danny Blindman is there and he is led outside and he walks through the streets with his doggo and his mm-hmm. dog starts to bark and it's just barking and it's barking and Daniel screams, who's there into the night? And we get another swoopy. Uh, we hear the sound of wings, which was uh, some great mix. The shadows mm-hmm. against the building, wailing on the soundtrack. Then everything gets quiet. No more barking, no more wailing. <laughs> the dog bites the fuck out of Danny's neck. So this is kind of what I also did with see no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil. Speak no evil as they mm. biting his neck. Death saying hear no evil. Mm. Line. But gotcha. that might be a stretch. This was gnarly as shit. Seems right to me. I think that you are, you're on something there, Ian. And yes, this is this was gnarly as shit. Uh, he's just we we see a dog puppet on Danny's neck and a bunch of yeah. fake blood, and that was great. But then we we cut to a shot of the dog like just tearing at some meat, which is supposed to be Danny's neck. So fucking yeah. gnarly. Love it. The match editing on the effect is shockingly good. It is good. I will say 
dogs in movies are never scary to me. They're just they just aren't because I can always tell a dog actor being a good boy, and this dog actor is being a, a good a good boy. So that fucking that always takes of you. That always takes me out. <laughs> that always takes me out of horror movies whenever a dog is a is a is a bad guy. Uh, even Kuja, <laughs> you make it sound like the dog's Al Capone. Even. <laughs> Well, even even Cujo, I'm just like looking. I'm I'm I look at Cujo and I'm like, oh, the dog's messy. Despite that, almost got me to a point where I was scared of a dog. So you know, kudos on that movie. Wonderful. Uh, we should also point out that contemporary reviews of this film often cited like how intense and shocking and vile the violence was. They they found it very off putting. So what seem might seem sort of tame or hokey today, especially in higher def really gross some people out back in the day. Roger Ebert in, I believe it was Roger Ebert anyway, I could be misattributing this quote to him, being the snobby snob that he was, referred to Dario Argento as film school Fulci, as his way of saying that he had death scenes that were just as gross as what Fulci did, but his films were artsy enough that he was he would allow it with Argento. I think I remember hearing that from Ebert. And this is I know I you don't like Ebert. Ebert. We're not yeah. going to litigate Ebert right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Susie goes to talk with Blanc. Uh, she wants to talk about all the deaths and weird things that are happening. Like, it felt so much like the kid going to like the the school counselor's office or a principal being like, "It's boy meets yeah. world," and Corey's going to talk to Mister Feeney about oh how Sean God. got uh, hung from a skylight in the. Uh, and, and Minkus got his throat ripped out by a dog. I want an episode of Boy Meets World where a coven's being run by Mr. Feeney. That sounds incredible. There is an episode of Boy Meets World that is a Scream parody. Oh, good. Okay. Well, I have some research to do after this. She tells Blanc about what Pat said that night about the secrets and the iris, and she's very interested. Uh, Sarah and Susie go for a swim for some reason. I guess... Before we get to the swim scene, um, something I want to bring up is one of my favorite parts, uh, like uh, locations in this film, is Madame Blanc's office. It is so oh, hell cool yeah! Because there's like I I wrote um, like German expression is Alice in Wonderland because there's so much like Wonderland aspect. Mm. I'll talk about later. She but, just has so much shit everywhere. All these knickknacks yeah. and just like it's like a grandma's house. My favorite True. thing is the Escher-esque uh, staircases, the infinity staircases on her walls. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't notice. Uh, because I thought uh, of like Labyrinth of Illusions almost because it's like an illusion mm, trying to go up and it's like a labyrinth, which the I, I thought it was cool. And I love escher I like it because it is maintaining that threatening aura that the whole movie has and that all the set pieces have, no matter how beautiful they are, they all feel unsafe to be. It is also yes. one of the coolest feeling places and i don't mean cool as in like hey cool i mean like cool as in like the temperature like it yes. feels it's not it's not quite like the danger is a little bit farther away and that matches because the character of of madame blanc spends the most time and is the most effective at making people feel like she has their best interests at heart mm. tanner is the stick and she is the uh the uh carrot the carrot yeah mm-hmm is and but and just but just like Madame Blanc, greater evil, even though it feels nicer, greater evil is hidden therein. Very wise. 
I am smart. You're right. You are. No, we all say that about you. <laughs> How's Billy doing? He loves dance, and he's still very smart. Sarah and Susie go for a swim for some reason. I some guess. Reason. I and it's the most awkward, uncomfortable swim too. They look like they're being punished. <laughs> Well, Argento, again, this is from IMDb Trivia, said he wanted mm-hmm. them to like make as little arm movements as they could so the water would seem tranquil and still, which was very off-putting for you. Yeah, it's extremely off-putting. There's a film I know because I took a film class at Bloom, and one of the films we talked about was a film by Jacques Tonard called Cat People, and it's one of those... Yes, I need to see that. Yeah, it's Same. good. Um, it's actually that same class where I watch Caligari. Cat People basically has this exact same scene, and I think it's supposed to be an homage. Oh, that's right, it does. People, yeah, in the swimming pool, and that's what I wrote down. And I maybe it's just a coincidence, but I feel like it might be an homage. Um, Probably. I mean, Val, Val Luton is incredibly influential. I would not be surprised if this was an homage. Yeah. But uh, Sarah tells Susie that she was the one on the intercom the night she arrived. Pat had been taking notes on the goings-on of the Academy and had given them to Sarah, and she plans to show Susie the notes that night, but they are stolen. She tells Susie, but Susie is again very, very sleepy. We all have a friend like this, where it's like, I need to tell you about this conspiracy. Oh, I gotta get some sleep. Sarah, I'm so sleepy. That's that's no bleak reference that all of us enjoy. <laughs> Much too oblique. She tells Susie, uh, Susie is sleepy. Sarah asks Susie if she knows anything about witches. <laughs> and she's like, that's my favorite book by anti-Semite Roald Dahl and falls asleep. <laughs> forgot he wrote that. Yeah, it's a great uh, movie and a great book. It is, yeah. Su- Susie conks out. Sarah hears some strange giggling. I Part of the problem with no sound being recorded on set is I'm never sure what's diegetic and what's part of the soundtrack. I felt right, like the yeah. giggling was diegetic, but I was unsure. Pretty uh, sure. And now everything is green. This is the green part of the movie. And I, I want to point out, uh, again... The the actors in this movie are really the stiltedness of the of the characters in this movie that I that I felt is not the fault of the actors at any level. They are really killing it in their parts. And yeah. I wanted to give special uh, commendation, especially to Stephanie Cassini, who plays Sarah in this scene. Uh, she reminded me really strongly for some reason of Mary Philbin from Phantom of the Opera in this scene. Cause it, again, my problem with the movie is mostly when people are talking, the minute people just stop talking and just like, start like being real, enjoy, like, yeah, being real with each other, like uh, enjoying the, uh, you can enjoy the visuals more. You can enjoy the, the cinematography more. And she was just doing this incredible a silent performance of this the screen queen performance in the scene and, yeah because uh, she's you know are no longer distracted by the fact that she and her best friend clearly don't know what the fuck each other are saying <laughs> are just saying gibberish to each other just saying absolute <laughs> nonsense 
It's like the Tower of Babel fell exactly when this movie was being made. Wow. I know, Brad, you were pointing at us to talk about the lights. So, like, obviously red is evil. I think we can all agree with that. And I read blue as good. There's a couple things in there. There's a couple blue lights at good parts. But also, she enters the academy wearing a blue dress. So that's something I thought of. Green is the one I struggle with the most. The one I can come up with is like knowledge or intelligent. Or not maybe not intelligent, but more knowledge. Because ah. like you said about this green here is she's now learning because now she's using her brain to be like, I'm going to go figure out what's going on. It doesn't go well for yeah. her. Might as well talk about it. Mm-hmm. But then scene right after this is when our main character learns all of the knowledge. Like it's exposition time. So I kind of think green is like, because I think uh, there's some green there, but green is like knowledge. Maybe it's green like Ivy, like Ivy League schools where you get knowledge. See, I'm such a hustler there and I'm go. on that grind 24 7. That green just means money to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what we always say about Brad, is that he's all about that grind. Yeah, no, it's my oh, bumper yeah. sticker. This has been established in continuity in this show. All my shirts say mm-hmm. it. My underwear doesn't have my name. It just says that dude who on his grind. Sarah has one piece of evidence that didn't get stolen, which she hides mm. in Susie's bedside before slipping out the door right before a mysterious someone enters. And here we get what Billy was talking about. The very uh, silent scream queen. Sarah just sort of like frets down the hall. Just like mm-hmm. just just in a state of panic and paranoia and just being frightened. And now the green shifts. We have the intense red lighting. She goes up into the attic or some unused floor. And we see someone open a case containing a straight razor. Love a good straight razor. Love a good Mm -hmm. straight razor in a movie. Um, This person then sneaks up behind Sarah and gives her a couple slashes. And what it cannot be understated. I know we talked about it for 45 minutes at the beginning, but this score does some heavy lifting. Like it enhances everything so much. This movie Uh, is essentially just a giant music video for the score. (laughs) That's it's, it's like the wall. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what it is. Dario Argento's the wall. Oh God. Dario Argento's Tommy. (laughs) (laughs) Pinball wizard, except it's an eye instead of a metal ball. Sarah runs and shuts herself in a room. And I love this. I love this so much. The assailant uses their straight razor. He sticks it between the crack of the door and Sarah has Mm. latched it shut. And they are trying to raise the, it almost, it seems like it should be a lot. They're having a hard time. Yeah. seems like it should be very, very easier. Yeah. Yeah. But part of me just hopes that they were fucking with her. And like, this is all just like (laughs) terrible psychological torture. It's and this Sarah, big, it's just this big jigsaw-esque trick to get her to go through a window. Yes. Sarah apparently for a little for a couple seconds resigns herself to her fate and just cowers against the wall. Then she's like, oh yeah, building things. She grabs a bunch of luggage that's just sitting around and she and she stacks it like an idiot. Like she puts the smallest thing on the bottom and then yeah, the next smallest yeah. thing. It's like, honestly, honestly the, most, the most relatable moment she has in the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
<laughs> do you do you have trouble stacking things? I have trouble. I have trouble getting my anything in in the order it's supposed to be when I'm like doing stuff physically. Granted. And like once once I realize I've made a mistake, it's very hard for me to like go back and try and start over. I'm I'm very. I, I kind of want to, so yeah, no, very, very relatable, just like fuck up really badly early on in the beginning, but just keep moving forward because you're too, you're too mule headed for it anyway. You know what? I should be kinder because she is about to be murdered and that's yeah, going to put stress on a person and that's going to make things more difficult. True. True. What's my excuse? She stacks some lug- luggage to reach a tiny window. The soundtrack drops out. But we can still hear the razor tinking oh, against yeah. the latch as Sarah emerges into another room. And she jumps down from the window into a room full of fucking barbed wire. Oh, cue soundtrack. Oh, yeah. God. It just comes. It comes in like a thunderclap in this at that. Yes. Moment. Yeah. And um, I love God. this sequence. This is lovely. I was going to say, I know, I know, Billy, you said that <clears throat> you didn't think it was that much of a horror film to the end. This for me is like absolute, like for me was the most abject horror. It was not even that, but the whole, that mm-hmm. room, her being in the room was so tense. And I was like rooting for mm-hmm. her, even though, I mean, I knew she was, you can know where the movie's going, but like you're rooting for right, her to yeah, get yeah, out yeah. and everything. And, um, and then she gets out and you're like, yes, okay. She actually made it and just straight into the barbed wire. And it's just like, Oh, so mm-hmm. like that for me was like really good horror too. And just so tense. Sarah struggles and writhes in the barbed wire screaming mm. until mm. a satin gloved clad hand covers her mouth and a straight razor slits her throat. You know what? When I get murdered, I like to get murdered with luxury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. Satin gloves or nothing. I like to pretend when I get murdered. On right. the bi-weekly basis, that's twice a week, not every two weeks. I like to pretend that Audrey Hepburn from Breakfast at Tiffany's is doing it. When I get murdered, I like to call up my good friend Sweeney Todd to do it. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, get, the, get the real straight razor experience. Yeah. And then your body is something useful happens with it. Yeah. You don't need to talk. We don't need to talk too much about it. I know cannibalism makes Billy uncomfortable because he secretly yeah. really wants to eat people. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's cannibal. My body, my body's <clears throat> actually was up in the attic to get those maggots. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that they let you go to waste like that. That's disgusting. Then they Frankenstein <laughs> me back, and that's why I'm here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. No. No. We all we all know about the cycle of life and death. We've all been murdered here. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're all the nameless one. That's a reference for Steven. Hey. Susie goes looking for Sarah. Tanner the next day and Tanner tells Susie that Sarah just left and Dreamy Boy corroborates her lie for whatever reason. Goodbye, Dreamy Boy. Thanks for being in the movie. Go see Olga. Go see Olga, Dreamy Boy. Also, expert expert level uh, gaslighting from Tanner, where she's like, Susie's like, where did Sarah go? And uh, Tanner's like, I don't know. It's annoying. Why would she leave like that? You know? <laughs> it, <was so> <laughs> <laughs> it is great. It is really Tanner, great. I honestly, 
looking on this again, like talking this over, I am coming around with you guys. Tanner is incredible in this movie. <laughs> Tanner is awesome. Yeah. Tanner is yeah. the secret MVP. Mm -hmm. Susie contacts the only other person that Sarah told about the notes. Something that Susie remembers, even though she was cuckoo on drugs. And she contacts this person, Dr. Frank Mendel, a.k.a. a very young Udo Kier. And let me tell you something right now. Young Udo Kier can fucking get it. Oh, my God. Yeah. No. Yeah. Young Udo Kier was was a looker. He's a dreamboat. Like, uh, someone call up Tiger Beat. He's still got the... <laughs> He's still got the same Udo Kier intensity that he still has now. So he's got like a sort of this Edward Cullen kind of thing where he's like sexy, but also like really intense. I do. I want to fuck Udo Kier. No, we all want to fuck Udo Kier. It's clear. Yeah, We've all, all discussed it. We've decided. We all <laughs> want in Ian. Yeah. <laughs> we all, we all want to make a Patreon to create an Udo Kier dating sim. <laughs> The funniest part of the scene, though, is that Udo Kier, unlike many of the actors in this movie, is not dubbed by Udo Kier, but no. by some fucking guy. And it so you have Udo Kier looking all Udo Kiery, and like you, if if you're as big a fan of Udo Kier as I am, there's a very specific voice that you're waiting to come out of him, and instead mm -hmm. it's yeah, and so it's Udo Kier. Udo Kier's face with a voice is like, well, I can tell you this about witches and psychology and all this. Stuff. It's like seeing Peter. It's like seeing Peter Laurie and hearing Rock Hudson's voice. It's so <laughs> fucking weird. Oh, I was I was falling off my couch laughing so hard. Thank you for putting it in terms that everybody can understand. <laughs> No, our our listeners are right down the middle between. There are no Lee listeners. No, well, the all all of the listeners that we do have, Peter Lorre fans, Rock Hudson fans, that Venn diagram's a circle. Yes, yep. it is. Udo Kier is a psychiatrist who used to treat Sarah, so all of this seems pretty unethical. Frank Udo Kier tells Suze that Sarah said the academy was founded by Helena Marcos, and she was believed to be a witch. Marcos had apparently been expelled from several countries and also went by the name the Black Queen. Then mm. in 1905, Marcos died in a fire. I guess she took some internet sayings too seriously. When she said that, or she was also known as the Black Queen, I thought that was Billy Crystal's drag persona. <laughs> oh. You look marvelous. That uh, was good. That was good. That was I, good. I, a laugh. I was so scared to make that joke. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I'm no. Billy Crystal's blackface. I was like, oh, I got to make a reference. And then I saw that. I was like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's my that's that's my favorite joke of the night, right there. <laughs> that's good shit. Okay. Afterward, after Marcos died, the school made what I'm sure was a hard choice to abandon the study of the occult and focus on dance. <laughs> I would have gone you know, like you do. the other way with it. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Udo Mendel associates the belief in the supernatural with mental illness, and then Udo Frank introduces Sarah to another professor, Professor Milius, and guess mm. what? 
His favorite subject is witches. <laughs> and can you and believe it? Can you, can you even believe, believe it? it? The coincidence. Oh man, this motherfucker loves witches. He loves witches so much. Doctor Milius is has an inter- interesting things to say about witches. One of the most interesting things I thought was he said that their powers are only capable of doing harm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and considering like witchcraft and like Wicca and like a real religion in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering bold if we should fucking, bold fucking statement to make my guy. I was wondering if we should address that at all. Like some people get, uh, have their qualms with the word witch and the depiction of witches evil. This is movie Halloween, witches. clearly this is, this is going with this very sort of Wizard of Oz. But even in Wizard of Oz, there were good witches. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. true. So you're right. Yeah. Wizard of Oz, more even handed and fair film M- than more even handed and fair. in regard to witches. Hey, Dario Argento, Dario Argento, step it up. Step it the fuck up. Exactly. <laughs> um, but as we always say, if you are offended by anything that we talk about or the way we talk about it, that is your right. And mm-hmm. you can feel however you would like about that. And um, let us know so maybe we can learn something. Yeah, sure. He thinks yeah. witches, Professor Milius thinks witches are very important to modern psychiatry. Uh, sure. And Sue's... <laughs> good old Sue's here is acting like an FAQ about witches. And she's <laughs> like, Professor Milius, what are witches? And then... <laughs> In my favorite one, she says, what do witches do? (laughs) (laughs) And Milius Milius tells her they change lives and do harm. And they must accumulate great personal wealth, but only if it comes at the harm to others. And this is actually a reference back to a weird thing we didn't talk about earlier in the film, where when uh, Jessica first comes in, or when uh, Suze first comes into the dressing room, she learns that everyone at the dance academy is expected to only make any kind of transaction with each other, any kind of neighborly interaction with each other through money. Oh, that's right. Oh, I forgot and about Sarah, that. Yeah. And Sarah says, Sarah says, it used to be off-putting for me. And then I just found out it was a charming custom here, which I, which is one of the lines that I like made me roll my eyes. But apparently it's actually a theme. Capitalism, that's witches. Which again is funny because most witches, most, most witches I know are anti-capitalist, but whatever the fuck, yeah. I guess. Yeah, they just uh, trade toadstools back and forth. <laughs> I think that describes most of the witches we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Call up Amy and ask her where she her toadstools are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she knows where several of her toadstools are. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> Susie asks about Marcos, and here we learn that the leader of the coven is even more powerful. It's like an MLM, but if the leader is killed, then the coven is harmless. So we're going by Lost Boy Vampire rules. It all comes around. That night, Susie doesn't drink her wine. Instead, she Mm. goes knocking on doors, trying to find someone, but no one's around. They all went to the fucking Bolshoi Ballet. Suze calls Dr. Frankenkeer, 
but the power goes out briefly and the call is lost. Bye, Udo Kier. Thanks for being in the Hi, movie. Bye. Bye, Professor Bye. Milius. Susie flushes her dinner down the toilet. She pours out her wine in the sink, which looks like blood and stains the sink. Mm-hmm. And, you mm-hmm. know, that's the school's going to find her for that. Susie goes creeping around the academy. She opens the door and a bat flies out and gets tangled in her hair. Have you guys heard this myth about bats? Like, I feel like... Oh, bats getting was, tangled in women's hair? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah. like it was barely a thing when I was a kid, but now I feel like it's even less... Maybe I just don't talk to people about bats enough. It's more of it was more of a thing from, like, my, my grandparents' time, I feel like. Yeah. It was, it was yeah. a thing. Because uh, my, my grandmother is... My maternal grandmother is terrified of bats, and she always cites that thing. Like, there's, oh, it's going to get in my hair. Bats just love sniffing hair. They just love <laughs> sniffing hair. Bats are perverts. I just want to note that this bat, much like a lot of older horror movies, it's a very obvious puppet bat on a string. I loved and it. I loved it. I've seen a lot of vampire movies, so I've seen a lot of puppet bats on the strings. This is the plumpest, roundest, fuzziest <laughs> bat on a string I've ever seen. I wanted to hug it so bad. <laughs> And then love it. it gets bludgeoned to death, which is very upsetting mm. for me. No, that was super unnecessary. It Apparently was. the bat My note is in all caps, uncalled for. Sorry, mine in all caps is Susie is a monster. <laughs> the bat either like I can't remember if it gets knocked to the ground or just sort of like gets tired and flops down for a nap. Either way, it ends up on the floor. Susie throws a towel over it. Bat neutralized. Threat is gone. Yeah. But she still picks up a stool and just beats the shit out of this bat, and I hated it. Bat was my the, my second favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> really, the real hero of the movie was the bat. When you think about the it, the bat was trying to whisper in her ear, but it got exactly. tangled in her hair accidentally. He was yeah. trying to be like, "You don't want to go in that door. Just run. Just run." Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. She, she. <laughs> She Jack Torrance her own Dick Halloran. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I love that. So old Suze decides to have a smoke. Uh, she finds the note that Sarah hid. Suze recall I keep calling her Suze. I don't know why. I, it's I love it. Note. I'm I'm down I'm yeah. down with the sickness. Suze, uh, Suze Studio. For the intro, I was like can we come up with a Susudio parody real quick about Suspiria? (laughs) Suspiria. But I I was like, I have 15 minutes and I don't want to spend my time on this. But uh, old Sue's good old Sawbones is having a smoke. Uh, She finds the note that Sarah hid and Susie recalls the conversation about where the teachers are going and their footsteps. And she goes Mm -hmm. a snooping. She gets her Scooby-Doo on. She eventually hears some laughing and carrying on. On her trek, uh, it turns out to be Albert's lady <laughs> laughing it up with someone who looks just like her. I didn't know if they were supposed yeah. to be like twins or related, but it was this wonderful, odd detail. Two, there's two twin golems that both work for the witch coven. Albert has such strong cabalistic magic that he could create mm-hmm. two golems to defend Prague right. and also torment young ladies in witch academies. As we see, the golems work well when they hear a distraction, they look out, see nothing, say, ah, that was nothing, and go back to work. Yeah, no, they have the same AI as video game guards. 
Susie sneaks past and she continues following the footsteps and she enters a carpeted room. Aha, this is why the footsteps stopped. But there must be another door. So Susie snoops. This is Madame Blanc's office is that she's snooping in right now. Yes. And I don't know why at this point I thought this, but good Suspiria remake. It's about a fella ballet dancer and it's, he's played by Paul Dano. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah, no, it's a good movie. And it's what I'm, I'm putting all my money into it and I'm going out, I'm hitching my way out to California and we're going to make it big in the pictures. Does the plot change at all? Or is it just Paul Dano? The same plot. It's just Paul Dan. All right. All right. I'm down. I would want, I would, I would want a Dr. Sleep-esque sequel where Paul Dano plays a grown up. Uh, uh, <laughs> little lad loves berries and cream there. Yeah. Oh, Paul Dano is a grown up Albert. Albert. Grown up Albert. And he's, he's dealing with the trauma of his childhood in this witch coven. We can get Udo Kier to come back, but we can actually let him actually speak this time. It's one of those sequels, much like the Lost Boys sequels, where they can't get any of the main cast back, so they just focus on tertiary characters. Well, if Udo Kier play Marcos, oh, yeah. he's very poor. <laughs> Til- hey, Tilda Swinton got to pull an Eddie Murphy in the in the Suspiria remake. Now it's that, Udo yeah. Kier's time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if it, it's one like it's like that meme, like uh, every actor in a movie is a Muppet except for one. Every actor yes. is no cure except for one. And that actor is Paul Dano. Immediate thought boogie nights. Paul Dano is Dirk Diggler. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh gosh. Uh, so a great. mural covers the wall in Blanc's office. And this mural includes an iris. Susie finally realizes what character actor Pat Hingle was trying to tell her that night. A secret I saw behind the door. The three irises. Turn the blue one. Which Susie does, and she enters the Black Lodge. And can I just say, as we're about to enter my favorite part of the movie uh, coming up here, I just one last dig at this movie before we get into that part. What sure. a shitty twist. Like, this is the main clue of the whole movie. They spent multiple scenes being like, it's very important what she said. If only I could remember. It's like the conversation. It's like, oh, it's all about what she meant when she said that. And then at the end, it's just sort of like, it's another video game thing where it's just sort of like, if you touch the right flower on the right thing, a secret door opens. That's, come on, that's lame. Well, I don't know that you can ask a lot from like, it's just... I don't know. Like it didn't bother me that this was just like a simple, like little clue. Like it's not like she's in this office a lot and she's just staring at this iris and being like, I don't get it. It just, it didn't make any sense for the character, for the, for the character of Pat Hingle to be yelling that in the middle of a rainstorm. Like what she was on the intercom trying to talk to Sarah. Why would she have this conversation on an intercom talking to Sarah? I don't know. German culture. But as I said, Susie uh, enters into the Black Lodge, except ironically, the Black Lodge is filled with blue velvet curtains. Parts the curtains to find a long hallway, filigreed with grape leaves or something. Uh, It's very Grecian, because Helena Marcos is a Greek immigrant, as we learned Ah. before. Yeah, Um, that's a good point. And there is like Latin all over, too. Well, Latin and Greek are different. 
No, yeah, I know. But I was just saying she also said she got extradited from multiple countries, didn't you say? So maybe it Yeah, was she was kicked thing. out of a lot of places. <laughs> didn't you say, Ian, that the original paper, the original poetry that this was kind of based on had something to do with like a Roman fertility god? Yes, it is a Roman. Yes. I forgot about that. That is a Roman fertility god. And I, like I said, I think some of the uh, film was shot in Rome. So that could also be that well, they just, they didn't, they didn't care what it, I mean, honestly, Dargento might've saw that and just been like, I don't care what it says in Latin. It just looks cool and everything. <laughs> so like, I translated it and it actually just says if, uh, never mind. I couldn't think of a joke in time. Never, uh, the sentence <laughs> fell apart. So you started that bit having nowhere to go and we're yes, just, yeah. Just being like, I was just, I was just going on a leap on a leap in a prayer, hoping I would end on a bit, and I didn't. So you know, now and now you all know I'm a fraud. So, <laughs> well, that's the third thing we say about you. Yeah, How's figure, yeah doing? of course, <laughs> he's a great dancer. Hey, he's still very hey, smart. He's still a fraud. He's still a fraud. Hey, rule of threes. Okay, <laughs> exactly. As above, so below. But Susie's sneaking down the hallway, and the goblin score is going hard because oh, these so are good. her final mm-hmm. minutes. Eventually, it only she goes comes, one way. She comes across a room with Blanc, Tanner, and Albert. Hello, hello, oh, Tog, oh. Tog, it's me, Albert. I'm back in the movie. <laughs> oh, Albert. thank God, Albert I, got it. This is my theme. last scene. I remember the day on set. I was <laughs> like, I'm going to stay here and be Albert forever, and I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you still live on the set of Suspiria? I do. <laughs> oh, my God. I haunt Mark. the Vince. Oh, I, <laughs> I didn't realize that we were talking. Are, do you a, are you a ghost? No, no, I'm a full-grown man. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, okay. Is it like I've a no, boy? I've noticed your... your your German accent has traveled to Ireland all of a sudden. <laughs> is Suspiria a boy in the wall movie? Has Albert just been living in the walls the entire film? Listen, listen, Albert's very tired. He's not taking any more of your questions. It's bullshit. <laughs> okay, that's, that's fair. That's fair. It's, it's nap time for Albert. Understood. Yes. Blanc is saying they need to get rid of that American bitch. She must die, die, die. Blanc asks Helena for some power as she drinks from a chalice. And then mm-hmm. Albert seems to spot Susie and informs Pavlos. Again, this power couple, this dynamic mm-hmm. duo of Albert, mm-hmm. Pavlos, one sees something. Then he tells Pavlos something. Pavlos goes to do a thing. It's like a well-oiled oh, machine. God. It is, yeah. God. So um, so they're the true master blaster. Well, really, I think we need to recognize the genius of Albert that he's such a switch that he can go from mm. lady friend to Pavlos that he can just be like, yes. I can get on anybody's shoulders. There you go. And tell them what which he is crimes a, to commit. He is a master of many blasters. Yes. He's really the best mm-hmm. of us. He's what we all should strive to be. We should yes. all we should all be the masters of many blasters. But uh, Susie moves away and stumbles into Sarah's mutilated corpse. Pavlos comes after Susie using Sarah's lighter, which he coveted earlier, which is a weird thing. It's so weird I that this was so really established like earlier. I do yeah. too, but it's such an odd thing to like call back to or even establish in the first place that yeah. Pavlos wanted Sarah's lighter. Do you think that's what this is all about? It's <laughs> the lighter. <laughs> Do you think? Do you think it reached back like 
oh man, if Sarah's gone, then maybe Pat will get the lighter. We need to take Pat out first. Did Daniel overhear the plan? Did Daniel? We we got to be sure. We got to cover up loose. We got to cover up loose ends. And now uh, the only one standing in the way of getting that lighter, Susie. Susie. It is interesting. It is interesting that uh, before Sarah was killed, they seem to be spending a lot of time and effort to make sure Susie stayed in the fold. And now suddenly they just want her dead. They want her gone. Yeah, it seems like they were prepping her for something with yeah. all yeah. of the drugging and the visits and but which is a direction they take in the remake, but not here. But I, I'm. But it does seem that like once Sarah died. And the lighter was up for grabs. They were like, we got to get rid of Susie right fucking quick. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter. I know, I know we meant for her to be like the reincarnation of Count Dracula or some bullshit. <laughs> but like, it doesn't fucking matter. It, the lighter is on the line, people. The lighter is in the air. We got to make sure Witch- it lands with us. Uh, witches have very strict rules about the inheritance of lighters. Mm. Yes. Pavlos is actually our protagonist in this film, and Susie's actually the antagonist, and the whole film is about the lighter. <laughs> Pavlos yeah. is the only person who wants something, I guess. Like, he's the only only one with a drive. Well, Susie wants to become a famous ballerina. His Hey, hey, his want and his need are different, and that makes him dynamic. Pavlos is a, is a three-dimensional character, one that yeah. has stood the test of time. Can you imagine if yeah. Suspiria just turned into a musical and Pavlos broke out an I Want song? <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out he starts singing. He's like, I want this lighter, but I need for people to stop calling me ugly to my fucking face. Right? <laughs> Please is do it your, behind my back. Is this Please your favorite character, behind Billy? My back. Is Pavlos your favorite character? <laughs> Uh, Pablos is number three for me. Pablos is <laughs> yeah. number three. Albert Bat Pablos. Uh, no, num- but number one's coming up. Number one's coming up here. I think I know who it is now. Then. <laughs> I yeah. mean, there's only so many left. Yeah, right? There's only so many things. But uh, Sarah slips into a room where we hear Helena Marcos's distinct snoring. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Pavlov's or not Pavlov? <laughs> Chekhov snoring. Chekhov, Chekhov, Chekhov snoring. snoring. <laughs> My God. The sleep apnea strikes again. We're all having a lot of fun today. (laughs) Yeah, Um, we're having a good time. Susie knocks over a weird peacock statue, which sends some bocce balls rolling towards Marcos's bed. This was very, very Alice in Wonderland. Knock against it and wake her up. Yes. Very Alice in Wonderland. Very Alice in Wonderland. Now I... You're right, Billy. Helena Marcos is a wonderful character because of her constant monologue of taunts at Susie that begin as soon as she wakes up. I don't know who voice acts, who did the dubbing for Helena Marcos. We do, because we read the IMDb page. Can I do it, Brad? Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, this is my favorite note about the movie. So I don't know if she does the voice. I mean, I'm guessing she does. But Helena Marcos, who we actually meet, like when she actually see her, is a 90-year-old prostitute Dario Argento found on the streets of Rome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> According to Jessica Fantastic. Harper. Fantastic. If she does do the dubbing, I doubt that she probably does the dubbing for the, I don't think for the so. character. The dubbing is done by the co-writer, uh, Daria Nicodelia. Oh, is it? I didn't oh, know yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. fascinating. Dario okay. Argento's girlfriend. 
Yes. I just knew she was played okay. by a prostitute. A <laughs> 90-year-old ex-prostitute. Right. But yeah. Ian. Yes. Sex worker. Se- oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I read that off Wikipedia. Is, An ex-sex worker. Is, 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 the, is the P word a bad word now? I Well, we talked about this on Frankenhooker. I, I okay. just hear it generally referred to as sex worker. Okay. Okay. I, I, uh, sorry just about that. In my... Just in my skimming, like I've just found that people okay. prefer that Sex word work. not be used. It mm-hmm. could be a minority thing where, like, not everyone disagrees with that word. I don't know. That's fine. Okay, so hey, good, good note. Thanks, Egon. Uh, but the, uh, the, uh, yeah. So she starts in with this monologue. The part of the reason why I love this is because it's incredible. This, this performance, this monologue performance is so fucking good. Like she is one of the most deliciously evil deliveries of any monologue I've ever heard in any horror movie. So something about this voice legitimately gets under my skin and actually scares me. Like I was not scared. I was not scared through most of this movie. There are bits that like unnerved me there, but most of it was just like, Hey, what a feast for my eyes. Uh, this bit actually gets under my skin partially because I saw this scene without context, uh, years ago when I was in college, just like I saw a compilation clip of like famous scenes from horror movies. And this was the last one, this whole scene. Okay. Okay. And I saw that scene and it scared the absolute shit out of me. And even in context in a movie that hadn't impressed me that much up until this point, it still holds power over me and is coming in and and, and she's monologuing about you've come into my chamber and you're going to die now and all this stuff. And she has this great line that I will always it's it lives in my memory forever of Susie picks up one of the peacocks pinions. A yeah. reference to Argento's The Bird with Crystal Plumage. I uh, thought so. And again, Marcos is just endlessly taunting. We we don't see Marcos. And even mm-hmm. when Susie goes to kill her, she rips back the curtain and sees nothing in her bed. It's just monologue, monologue. And then a porcelain panther explodes. The camera shows that the monologue is now coming from other parts of the room. You can't tell. Yes. She can't tell where Helen is ever present. She's um, omnipotent almost. Uh, Susie sees a door and then Helena's voice says, hell is behind that door. You're going to meet death. Now the living, the living death. death. So good. Bursts open and there stands the dead body of Sarah, her mouth open with holding a knife. Her mouth opens, blood pours out of her mouth as the scariest evil laugh I have ever heard in my fucking life comes at it's it's Helena Marcos laughing out of the mouth of her dead friend. I can't even imitate it. It's so fucking good. Uh, this scene, fuck, this scene is so good for me. It's amazing. Uh, this the two best scenes in the movie for me. This scene, the opening murder. What the fuck? Incredible. When I uh, when I said at the beginning of like when we started the podcast, um, and I said there was two scenes that I believe are the height of film. The one was the hanging. This scene right here, from when they're in that room until the very end of the movie, is my favorite scene in all of cinema. <laughs> and I know that's oh. like a, yeah, I know that's a huge thing. Wow, but I love this scene. 
for some reason, when I watched it, the only like the thing that stuck in my head for like a month after is are that line and then his her friend coming out and then the next thing where it is jessica harper with a technicolor background and that quill in mm. her hand and just the most scared face i've ever seen where mm-hmm. she just looked mm-hmm. and i think i've seen that on a poster too and it's it's just absolute oh, yeah. perfection for me it's literally my favorite thing ever i love it i don't even know what my favorite scene in cinema is but <laughs> this is this is a really good one yeah uh, it's the scene where Paddington improves the prison and Paddington. Oh, oh yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, no. Oh, no, that's you can't do that to me now. That... <laughs> no, don't Oh, my God. That. What if Paddington went to the Tons Academy? <laughs> <laughs> Remakes Suspiria, but just keep Paddington as the main character. Uh, <laughs> Paddington is Albert. <laughs> <laughs> he changes all the witches from evil. He just makes them all. He's like, don't worship Satan. Come. <laughs> have marmalade sandwiches the dog goes to bite him like it bites uh like it bites the kid but instead he just he just he does the same thing he does with uh brendan gleason in that movie he just holds out the marmalade and the dog accidentally <laughs> opens the mar- swallows the marmalade and is just a good boy forever after that uh, aunt lucy said it's not nice to call people snakes <laughs> <laughs> You can call him ugly if you want to. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. He's like, I would never do that. Pavlos, you look very strong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lightning flashes. Susie sees an outline of Marcos and stabs it. Marcos, uh, we now she's now visible. She is horribly withered, and mm-hmm. she this is, is also who the sex worker was playing. Was that character yes. and everything? I assume very much made up. I, I assume she did. Oh, not I'm sure. Like I that. hope. I hope she's not just um, like like. But I just love the. Like, I love according to she Jessica, didn't look like a living scab. Yeah, right. Like I love the according to Jessica Harper, Dario Gento just walks on the streets of Rome, finds an ex sex worker, and is just like, um, you know what? Come be in my movie and play my main villain. <laughs> like literally, how Alejandro Hodorowski cast most of his movies. This is true. Yeah. Hey, that. that's a very true. That's a very true statement. Yeah. Uh, but Marcos is dead, and shit starts exploding. And by shit, I mean all the shit. Everything. Like all, all of the shit. All, all of Blanc's grandma knickknacks are are exploding. Like someone put M80s in them. Um, the furniture is moving on its own. Susie flees and sees the rest of the coven in agony. Uh, Lou LaRoe has fallen. Uh, the walls be- <laughs> the walls begin oh, to rip God. apart. Susie runs and runs and runs. The wind howls. The building is collapsing. She gets outside. Focus on a window that bursts into flames. You have been watching Suspiria. Yeah, I love it. That's right the before end. It, Does, right before she... it cuts to that, it cuts to that title card that says "You've been watching Suspiria." Right before it does, there's one shot of Jessica Harper just deliver. Like now that she's outside the door and it, she saw the explosion, she turns into the camera, and just smiles and laughs, like <laughs> glad that's over. Brushes her hair <laughs> back and walks out of frame. You have been watching Suspiria. It's it's the most <laughs> out of nowhere weird lethal weapon button on the end of <laughs> this this horror movie about the ballet studio. She but, lights uh, a cigarette and is just like. Just another day in the life. 
She says, I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> I I can only assume that Susie, like, just this just happens to Susie regularly. And, like, oh my God. last time she went to a chess academy filled with minotaurs or something. Um, you know what? Uh, the, the Lethal Weapon movies would have aged a lot better if if uh, Jessica Harper had played Murtaugh. In- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or- Absolutely. Is that... Is that- is that is that Mel Gibson's part? I forget which Riggs or Murtaugh, which one's which. The Mel Gibson part is what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, oh, no, I that's watched... Riggs. If she had played Riggs, that's what I'm trying to say. Hmm. Well, she should have played both of them. <laughs> it should have been. <laughs> well, no, they get Billy play... Crystal to play uh, play Murtaugh. <laughs> <laughs> um... It's also very Heather's esque at the end when she's standing outside oh of like God, the building yes. and smiling, like how Winona Ryder does in that. And I'm wondering if that yeah. even was an homage to uh, Suspiria. It's possible. It's a very influential. Movie. It is. There's a new sheriff in Prague, man. <laughs> it's not Prague. It's Germany. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> no, not whatever. People live. You're there right. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're right. I'm very. We have sorry. a big German fan base. Oh yeah. You're right. Yeah. Most most of our fans are German. You're correct. All three of them: Horst, Sven, and Albert. Does anyone have anything else they want to say about? Uh, I don't know why I almost said Jean Luc Godard's Suspiria about. <laughs> <laughs> about Dario Argento's Suspiria. Uh, oh I'll, God! I'll say my last like thoughts of it and stuff since I'm the one who brought it. Um, like how I I kind of get where like Billy's coming from, where he was saying like about them. I'm very excited to watch the remake, and I'll definitely have to let you know like what I think about that and stuff. And uh, I think this is a film. That, like you said, the plot does drag in the middle, and I'll say that, um, and everything, and that's why it's not in my like top five favorite films of all time. But this, like mm-hmm. I was gonna say, this it's just such a visual feast for me because for me, it's a five out of five film, uh, but mostly and even because it's just such a feast for the eyes and just to watch this film. And one thing we didn't really touch on is the production design in this film is immaculate, and mm-hmm. um, it's just so much. I don't want to say fun, but so much like beauty just to watch this film. And like, and then, yeah. like I said, that opening scene, if murder can be beautiful, that like, uh, strength, like that whole new scene. And that last scene is just, like I said, for me, the height of cinema. I love that last scene more than anything. It's so good. Except Paddington too. <laughs> well, we know the title of the true crime biography we're going to write about you. If murder could be beautiful, the Ian Kiefer story. Uh, so, <laughs> But it is a beautiful death where, like, the, you know... No, yeah, I'm sure every death you create is going to be beautiful, Ian. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk to you in prison. It's going to be, like, seven. I recreate all the murders and from Suspiria. I'm <laughs> kind of serial killer. All three of them. All right, Ian, thank you so much for being on. We had a great time. This is an almost three-hour episode that I hope I can get down to something that anybody might conceivably listen to back to front. Um, (laughs) I think this might be the shortest film you guys have talked about and the longest (laughs) podcast. Yeah, this is the weirdest ratio, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. um, We've we've ratioed Suspiria. (laughs) Uh, Jordan Peterson would be proud. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So uh, next week, Billy is thankfully going to be taking over Story Notes duty and telling yes. us about the old dark house by uh, what's his name? 
James Whale, one of my favorite directors James of all time. James Whale, uh, Captain Ahab's nemesis. Yes, yes. And Famously then James Whale. <laughs> and then uh, the week after that, we are going to be celebrating my two thousandth movie. Uh, we're gonna. Woo! It'll be much. It'll be much like the Holy Mountain episode where we watch it and then just talk about it afterwards. Hopefully we might have a special guest for that. But thank you so much for listening. If you're still with us at this point, if you <laughs> are and you, you've fallen and you can't get up, um, <laughs> there's no way we can help you because this is recorded and we're not there with you. Siri, call 911. Yeah, do that unless you don't yeah. have that. Um, yeah. But uh, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.